it's just me sitting over here waiting for my inbox to blow up or get a text message or maybe even a direct phone call from the boss who told me about a month ago now that's the end of this working man nonsense to start the show. But what the boss didn't say is that I was not allowed to take requests on Fridays. And Russell sent an email to Mike at 570news.com for all request Friday. And he said, you know what song I'd like to hear, Farwell? I would like to hear Working Man. And so I figured what better place to put it than right where it used to be. So on this All Request Friday here on the program, uh, we begin with Working Man from Rush. Remember, when you give us a call, and you are welcome to do that any time, 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. You can let Devin know. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass who answers the phones. You can whisper in his ear, this is the song I would like to hear today on All Request Friday. Or... Drop me a note to Mike at 570news.com. Speaking of those phone lines, let's get right to them. Andre, I'm really tight for time, but what do you got on your mind? Thank you, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Friday. Um, I wanted to call in because, of course, um, from your show, I heard uh, Mary McCabe that I, uh, I truly respect, and I heard that about the one tier she's supporting. And I know I know you've been uh, encouraging it, and I'm with you on that one, Mike, all the way. It would be so simpler. We'd be saving so much more money. And uh, I, I really hope that this one tier is going to happen one day, Mike. That's my opinion. Thanks, Andre. I appreciate the call, and this will be a theme through the show today. Uh, I agree with Andre, obviously, so I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. I think many people in the community do, but... We're kind of stuck. And my my greatest concern around this after witnessing what we witnessed yesterday, which was just a mishmash of perspectives shared, and really I don't think anything's going to come of it right now, but because we don't seem to be amalgamated here locally in our views on this long term, eventually somebody someday is going to come in and impose a structure on our community. And that, well, I don't think will be the greatest outcome at all. All right, before we dive into more of our conversations on the show this morning, I would be remiss if I didn't spend a moment, and this is a tough one, believe you me, because Wendy Campbell, whose name you no doubt heard yesterday, and who is somebody that you no doubt knew very well in this community, because Wendy's work touched so many lives. Wendy herself was a mentor to so many and did such tremendous work in this community, primarily through her role as the CEO of the Food Bank of Waterloo Region, who passed away earlier this week. And ding, dang it all, Wendy was just 53 years young. I had the privilege of getting to know Wendy. I mean, we started our various work in this community right around the same time. She started at the food bank back in 1999. And when I came here to this radio station, 
our paths would cross frequently. Again, because Wendy was so passionate about her work. And it wasn't just that work, but it was her passion for the community, how deeply invested in the community that she was and connected to this community. And she lost this week a battle with cancer. And I think you've seen the bumper stickers as many times as I have. So F cancer, pardon my French, but that's the way I feel. I got to know not just Wendy, but the entire Campbell family over these past couple of decades. Craig, her husband, her kids, Maddie and Ben, they are a terrific, giving, community-minded family. And these are the times where you look up at the sky, at least I do, and I'm like, are you sure? Like, are you really sure you know what you're doing up there? Because it is a difficult one to digest when somebody that meant so much to so many is taken from us so soon. So my sincere condolences, of course, to Craig and to Maddie and to Ben and all of Wendy's family and friends. Uh, She represented the best in us, and we lost her this week, and that is a tremendous loss for our community. It is 9-11. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. And time for us to take a look at our Farwell Show 5 for this Friday morning here on the program. Leafs played last night. Leafs won last night. Austin Matthews made a little Leafs franchise history last night. But the Leafs are going to get the puck out at center ice. They don't get it in deep. Now when they do, it comes to Matthews and scores! Near side for Willie and a shot. That's blocked. He gets it again. Far side for Matthews and scores! Quickly played up on the wing. Broken up at the Leaf defense. Now Nyes and across the line with Matthews. Took a shot. Oh, and that was off the stick. A backhand by Matthews. Scores! Holy Mackinac! The big fellas got three! And the Leafs have a two-goal lead! Yes, a hat trick for some AM on AM in the AM this morning. Austin Matthews now at 37 goals on the season. And he ties Daryl Sittler for the franchise lead with 71 multi-point games as a Leaf. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 this Friday morning, Council in North Dumfries Township has decided to abandon its plans to refurbish the Aging Air Community Center and instead focus on twinning the ice pad at the North Dumfries Community Center with hopes some grant money might become available from upper levels of government when election time rolls around. Mike Play is a member of a community group in North Dumfries that has been advocating that the township follow through on its plans to twin the ice pad at the NDCC. And Play joined our show earlier this week. There was a a needs study that was done about two decades ago, and then the original concept and their architectural drawings were drawn up for the NDCC. And that actually includes provision for a second ice pad. The Air Community Centre and the old arenas was approaching at that time, probably 40 years old, and there was a recognition that that was going to have to be replaced. It can't be revamped to be a regulation-sized ice pad. It has limited parking, all the rest. And the NDCC, as you said, is an absolutely gorgeous facility. And uh, the plan was always to add a second pad to that. And that plan will be now carried through. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 for this Friday morning. Regular season weekends do not get much bigger than this one. 
uh, for the Kitchener Rangers, who host the London Knights tonight. Then they travel to London tomorrow for another game. You can hear both games, of course, on City News 570. Tonight, starting at 6.35, tomorrow at 3.30. Number four, six local mayors held a media conference yesterday to share their vision for a future governance structure where cities took responsibility for more services, downloading them from the region. Waterloo Mayor Dorothy McCabe was not at that media conference because she was not invited. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 today, the Toronto District School Board looking into creating a new policy to restrict the use of cell phones and social media by students in schools. The board says it needs a policy of its own over and above existing provincial rules because the landscape around cell phones and social media is different now. It is 9.14. We'll take a quick break. Come back with a conversation with Regional Chair Karen Redmond, who, unlike those six local mayors yesterday, thinks the region needs to take more responsibility for the delivery of services to our community. That conversation coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. It is a Friday morning here on the Mike Farwell Show. And clearly, as we celebrate all requests Friday, you like your rock and roll. Marianne requesting a little bit of Led Zeppelin and Cashmere this morning on the program. It is 9-19. Let's have a conversation about the big day that it was in our community yesterday with a standing committee reporting back to our Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing around how our regional governance structure is working for us and whether or not it may need some improvement. Regional Chair Karen Redmond joins the program. Chair Redmond, good morning. Good morning, Mike. You had the opportunity to appear before that standing committee yesterday. What message did you want them to hear? My message mostly was to say that the region of Waterloo is unique And yes, we can do better. And I made the case for uploading roads, water and wastewater and fire services. And Mike, I did that because any changes that need to be made or should be considered for the governance model should be about our residents, their service, the cost effectiveness and the affordability of those services. And I do believe that uploading um, those aspects at a regional level would provide the kind of consistent service to everybody, no matter what corner of the region they're in. As it stands right now, Chair Redman, aren't we north of 60% of services being delivered by the region as it stands today? We are, but again, I would I would reiterate that I think we can do better. And one of the aspects of water and wastewater is that it's a shared service. And the area municipalities put in the pipes and we run the water and the wastewater And it would be more effective because, Mike, we know that growth is happening. We know we're one of the fastest growing regions in Ontario as well as the country. So we need to skate to where the puck is going. And the greater efficiency we have, the more affordable in the long run it will be not only to buy homes, but for people to stay in their homes. And and I guess what I'm getting at there, Chair Redmond, is if we're already delivering more than half, 
of the services from the region, and you're advocating to do even more. I mean, why be half pregnant here? Let's just go all the way and make it a single tier regional or a single tier government for this community. Is that off the table for you? Well, when I knock on doors and talk to residents, and I've talked to developers over the years as well, Mike, they're not so concerned with government's governance as they are with service delivery and affordability. So I'm raising issues that I know matter to residents. Um, were we to be one tier, I mean, we saw what Peel looked like when it went the other way, when you try to disaggregate regionalized services. I believe that regionalization provides value for money, affordability, and transparency. So I'm happy to have the conversation. You know, it was interesting that we had about 20 groups and not all politicians. So I think that's um, different than it was in other regions. So this is an old chestnut. This conversation has been going on almost as long as the region has been here. And 50 years ago when the region was formed, it was to have that overarching view of planned expansion. And we have enough land and enough ability to provide 120,000 homes. So we're not standing in the way of uh, moving forward, but we can do better. I heard you say yesterday that seven fire chiefs for our region is six too many. Could I get you to also agree that eight CAOs is seven too many? Again, I would underscore that I think that those conversations have to go forward, and it can't just be about the number of politicians. We have far more politicians than they have in the city of Toronto. Having said that, I'm going to go back to say that any changes need to improve services, specifically with fire. From the regional perspective, we already are the oversight body for um, funding policing as well as paramedics. It would make perfect sense to do fire as well because what we realize is the lines between um, municipalities within the region are blurred and we could provide better service faster. So are there too many CAOs? I would tell you that the staff at every level of government within the region do a really fine job, but we can always improve. And we know that with growth comes pressure. And we also know that we're not perfect. So we need to look at ways that we can continue to improve the service level, the affordability and the transparency to residents. While you were delivering your message yesterday, Chair Redmond, to that standing committee and advocating that the region take on more service delivery here for our community, uh, six of the members of regional council, who are all mayors in this community, were in another room in the same hotel advocating that the municipalities take on more services, essentially downloading them from the region. Is this going to make it difficult to work with our existing regional council? Well, I would have to tell you that a diversity of opinions and debate to me always leads to better outcomes, Mike. Um, I didn't see the press conference. I wasn't aware it was happening. Um, at that time, I was actually um, at police headquarters um, talking to uh, Minister Kurzner and um, in- being introduced to 15 new recruits for WRPS who will be badged later this afternoon. So we continue to move forward with a vision I look at the budget process, I look at the shovel-ready land and the vision that the region is able to embrace because we're at the level of government that we can provide that kind of infrastructure. In my comments, I talked about um, the LRT and the fact that we need to complete phase two, and that's been, you know, billions of dollars 
invested in our community. So I think that vision and moving forward needs to be done on a larger scale when you're competing on a global stage for investment and talent. Is that to say then that if we had one voice to advocate for those upper levels of government and the funding we would need to get phase two done, we would be better off with that single unified voice? I believe a single unified voice is far stronger. When it comes to the housing that we all know we need, Chair Redmond, in this community today and as we project growth, close to a million people, total population by 2050, are you confident that we can achieve the goals we need, particularly around housing, with the structure as it exists today? I think we can always do better, Mike, and that's one of the reasons why I talked about uploading uh, again of roads water and wastewater, and fire services, because we're building homes, not just houses. So those services are very, very important. But at the end of the day, residents should be able to rely on clean water, reliable transit roads, and most importantly, homes for all. So I believe we have the vision and the ability to get there. Can we improve? Absolutely. I think we can all wrap our heads around sort of a a unified regional fire service like we have for police and paramedics. But can you give us an idea, Chair Redman, of of what it looks like then to, you know, the average resident of this region if our regional government assumes control of roads, for example, water, wastewater? How would that be different for us on the user end than it is today? So we have major roads, and we can look at some regional roads. I think of Highway 24 in Cambridge, Mike, and there are sections that are regional, sections that are city, and sections that are controlled by the MTO. So that kind of clarity would be really helpful. For water and wastewater specifically, we need to build the pipes where the growth is. And again, we have enough capacity to build 120,000 homes um, today, and that is more than what the province is saying uh, we need to do. And that growth can happen in every area of the region. So we need that coordinated planning to go forward, uh, as well as uh, employment land, because people come here, they want to have jobs, and they want good jobs. So all of that's possible, but we need that coordination. The fire service, um, there are cross-border agreements right now. We know that there are some volunteer fire um, services as well as full-time professional fire services. This government's gone forward with uh, the double hatter, and I don't know if you recall that legislation, which was probably about four years ago. We've seen Halifax integrate those services, so it would be seamless. So when you call 911, you get the service you need in a timely fashion, and that's always been our goal. Do you know where the work goes for this standing committee and ultimately our Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing after yesterday's meeting? What I do know is that there were government members that asked for some of the background work that staff have done on some of the comments that I made about um, uh, inter-jurisdictional um, spats, um, some of the housing developments that have stalled because there's cross-border service agreements that haven't been uh, inked yet. So um, they've asked for additional information. We will happily supply that. We have that. And um, we'll also provide some other data that supports some of the 
proposals that I've put forward in, in my presentation. So I assume that they will think about it. Um, I would think, again, um, I thought they asked really thoughtful questions, and I think they were probably surprised that they had 20 groups that weren't just politicians. There were definitely politicians there. We had area municipal councillors in the room. We had staff in the room. But we had lots of, of community members that wanted to come and be part of this conversation. Chair Redmond, I really appreciate your time on the show this morning. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks you for your interest in this. It's an important topic, Mike. It certainly is. And I have a funny feeling, Chair Redmond, we're going to talk about this again someday. Mike, I'm <laughs> always happy to talk to you about anything. I really appreciate that. Have a great Friday. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Karen Redmond is the chair of our region. I, I ran a little bit long there. This, You know how passionate I am about this. It's our very future. This, to me, is is one of the defining moments in the history of our community. We'll talk more about it through the show today. I just want to quickly add to what Chair Edmund was saying about other municipal uh, officials, elected uh, councillors who were at this meeting yesterday. While Chair Redmond was advocating for the region taking on more services, at least two of the other regional councillors who presented talked about an amalgamated single-tier system. We got Diversity of opinion is great. It is. I hope we can figure out a way to work together. we got to run. Uh, the Schneider family needs our help. And how can we help? We'll talk about that next on the Mike Fartwell Show. This is City News 570. Well, I'm not sure... If there are tulips on the Schneider lands, but if there are, perhaps you could tiptoe through them sometime. That is by request of Mark on this all request Friday here on the program. A little bit of Tiny Tim for you on this Friday morning. I reference the Schneider lands because the Schneider family needs our help. And Stephanie Sobeck Swant is the executive director of the Rare Charitable Research Reserve and joins us this morning for a conversation. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Could you give us... It's harder on radio, I know. We can't show the beautiful landscape that is the Schneider property, but can you give us your best description and sense of what this property is and, and what it means to folks in our community? Absolutely. I will try my best. It's really <laughs> a little slice of wilderness right here in the heart of Waterloo region at the border of Wilmot Township and the city of Waterloo. Um, and the lands that are planned to be donated to Rare will comprise about 235 acres of wetlands and woodlands, forests, meadows. Um, you really find a plant and animal community there that you don't find in that extent and, and combination in other areas of Waterloo region. And if you ask me, it's probably going to single-handedly the most important donation that will be made for conservation in the region because it's such a large parcel of land and because it's so highly ecologically significant. And you talk about this little slice of paradise in our community, Stephanie. Many people have found this little slice of paradise and they've been using it even though it's private land and and the schneider family for all these years has been more than happy to have people make use of this land 
Yeah, absolutely. The Schneider family has been so generous. You don't see that very often that a private landowner will not just put up the fence and keep it all to themselves. Um, they have always been open for the community to use their trails, particularly in hike, for hiking in summer and for cross-country skiing in winter. I remember when I first heard that this land was going to be donated, and I just thought, well, that's typical Schneider family stuff. They would do something exactly like this. But as I understand it now, Stephanie, there might be a problem here. What sort of obstacle have we run into? Yeah, absolutely. So the Schneider family really wants to make sure that the property is protected forever, both for conservation, but also maintaining the public access that they have shared for 40 plus years. So uh, we've worked together for over four years now with the family to come up with the best solution to do that. And to make it happen, it's actually three different properties that have residential houses on them. So the natural areas have to be severed off to then be merged into this large 235-acre area to be donated. So we submitted our planning and severance application to the Township of Wilmot in March 2023 um, and have been running into some roadblocks indeed because one thing that the township wants is for a parking lot, an additional parking lot to be built on those lands. And the Schneider family has been very clear that is not an option for them. The neighbors do not want additional parking either. None of the residents or users of the property are in favor of it. So there's a lot of other alternative options that could be pursued by the township of Wilmot, uh, which would involve, for example, road traffic calming measures, uh, additional signage on the roads and, and other options like that, we ha- which we have submitted as part of our planning application as well. But our concern now is the township has continued to postpone and delay to really seriously look into those, even though they're saying they are working collaboratively with the city of Waterloo on this, but we have really not received an update on it since July last year. And the clock is just ticking because Jane Schneider, the family matriarch who, who owns those properties, she would really like to see this donation completed during her lifetime. And, uh, and there is a worry. If Jane passes, the family has been very clear they will not be able to go ahead with the donation. What would hold the family up from following through on that donation in the scenario we don't want to consider, but if 94-year-old Jane Schneider passes away, why could the family not complete the donation? You know, Mike, I I can't really speak on behalf of the family in that matter. My understanding is that once it goes into a state law, things just become a lot more complex and there are a lot of implications for the family if that happens. That's fair. Uh, Okay, I think, Stephanie, forgive me, I think this might be the dumbest question I've ever asked on the show. But this has been a property that the family has, as you mentioned, not fenced in, allowed people to use for their leisure, their cross-country skiing, their hiking, etc., for the better part of 40 years. Why, Why do we have to change anything? Like, why, why does it suddenly need a parking lot? Why does it need anything? I don't understand. Well, Mike, that is a good question because we have received our own independent legal advice and also advice from professional planners, and they are telling us there is no legal requirement for those demands the township is making. Because there's no change in use proposed, the property will mainly merely change uh, 
from one ownership to the others. We even have an agreement with the Schneider that will prohibit us from advertising the property and things like that. So there's a plan in place to manage and continue to balance this casual, informal public use as it has happened. But what we hear from the township is there are liability and insurance concerns being cited, but we don't have any real information. I requested more information um, when this first went to council, but we really haven't received much. But you know how it goes, right? If if you deal with lawyers, they will also always give you the worst case scenario, and they always want you to take the most extreme measures. So I think what we really need is for council to step up and to make a more nuanced decision balancing their legal advice, which what actually is required by law as part of the planning application. I started this segment, Stephanie, by saying that the Schneider family needs our help. How can we help in this regard? What can we do? Yeah, absolutely. So the family is asking community members to send letters to council to let them know that they cannot no longer um, just stall this application and that they need to move it forward so that we can make sure this donation can happen during Jane's lifetime. I think there's a number of options that the township could pursue. They could either let us go ahead with the application and we work on a larger parking strategy and traffic access strategy later, or they could uh, finish up their conversations with the city of Waterloo, make those roadside improvements, or at least put a plan for those in place. I think if there is political will, this is totally possible to move this fairly quickly. Stephanie, I appreciate your time on the show today, and more so uh, the work that you do with Rare Charitable Research Reserve, which is just an absolute gem in our community. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much, Mike. Stephanie Sobeck-Swant is the Executive Director of the Rare Charitable Research Reserve. If you didn't know, I've shared this little tidbit with you from time to time over the years. It is larger in area, the Rare Charitable Research Reserve, based basically in Blair, but covers lots of land. Larger than Central Park in New York. Just think about that for a moment, right? And I, I get the whole, you know, urban park in Manhattan, but the Rare Charitable Research Reserve has preserved and continues to preserve for us in the little old Waterloo region more land than is currently making up Central Park in New York. Just a little tidbit for you. To the matter at hand, and and I guess maybe it wasn't the dumbest question I've ever asked, but I, for the life of me, cannot understand how or why this even becomes an issue. For the better part of 40 years, folks have been using these lands for their leisure activities. They hike, they cross-country ski, they probably do birding, like whatever. And, And the Schneider family, in typical Waterloo County fashion, does not fence the property in. Like, you're welcome to use this land for your recreational pursuits. We are happy to share it with the community. And now that the family matriarch is 94 years old, she has made it clear that this land she would like to gift to the Rare Charitable Research Reserve so that it can continue operating the way it has for all these decades. And and suddenly, there are obstacles to getting this done. There is bureaucratic BS, in my opinion, 
getting in the way of this gift being given to the community? Give me a ding-dang break here. Like, talk about bureaucracy and red tape getting in the way. Talk about too many fingers in the pie. It is utterly incomprehensible to me how this even becomes an issue. Leave it the way it is. We've been doing just fine for 40 years. Thank you very much. Mrs. Schneider and the Schneider family, we are so grateful for your gift. And that's it. I, I, I cannot understand how we're putting obstacles in the way of seeing this gift through to its completion before... I don't even want to talk about before nothing. I, I just can't see how we're not getting this job done. If I'm missing something, I'm sure you'll tell me what it is. We'll take your calls right after this quick timeout. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. The clock is just ticking because Jane Schneider, the family matriarch who owns those properties, she would really like to see this donation completed during her lifetime. And there is a worry. If Jane passes, the family has been very clear they will not be able to go ahead with the donation. Well, I guess it was back in 63 when eating my cooking got the better of me, so I asked this little girl I was going with to be my wife. Well, she said she would, so I said I do. But I'd have said I wouldn't if I'd have just knew how saying I do was going to screw up all of my life. Well, the first few years weren't all that bad. I'll never forget the good times we had, because I'm reminded every month when I send her the child support. Well, it wasn't too long till the lust all died, and I'll admit I wasn't too surprised. The day I come home and found my suitcase sitting out on the porch. Ah, poor Jerry Reed. That's tough out there. She got the gold mine. I got the shaft. By request on this All Request Friday here on the program. The voice you heard before that, of course, was Dr. Stephanie Sobeck-Swant, who's the executive director of the Rare Charitable Research Reserve. And she joined us this morning to talk about Jane Schneider and the Schneider family, who would like to donate land that they've essentially been gifting to the community for decades now. But to make it official, the land would be transferred into the care and control of the Rare Charitable Research Reserve so that it can continue to be used exactly the way it's been used for low these last many decades. But suddenly we're stumbling and bumbling and tripping over one another in our efforts to put up obstacles to making this happen. And I, for the life of me, just can't understand why. We seem to have been managing just fine, thank you very much, for all this time without any government or legislative interference. Why are we getting in the way now? 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Rory, good morning. Oh, Mike, good morning. I mean, uh, I, I really don't know. Well, I do know what to say. What a rare opportunity we have here. I mean, first of all, thank you to the Schneider family for decades of stewardship and community leadership. And by the way, this family has taken on the liability itself for decades. Um, you know, Mike, this council, this mayor, these councillors, and our chief planner in Wilmot are on a trail of destruction in Wilmot Township. 
They have signed off on destroying almost a thousand acres of farmland and natural fabric, natural asset in this township since they've come into office. And how many times, Mike, will this council see another donation of this size? This does not happen uh, every day. This is not common. And yet they drag their feet and they hide behind uh, a really weak statement, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, my challenge to them is get moving on this. Get moving on this. You are destroying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres in Wilmot with the decisions that you've made. It's time for you to stand up and start. I would challenge them one for one for the one acre they've signed off on destroying they need to sign off on an acre to protect. And 230 acres would be a great start for this council to get back on board. And, you know, one of, one of the councillors, Mike, I think she was on your show earlier this week. What did she say? Uh, your voice, your choice. Well, listen to the voices of Wilmot, and they're telling you what their choice is. We need, we need action. And we need them to do something immediately. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Rory. I appreciate your passion on this. It is uh, it is a tough one to figure out. Now, this did come up at council this week. Uh, Ward 4 Councillor Stephen Martin raised the issue by way of question to Wilmot's Director of Development Services, Harold Okrafka. Here's a little bit from that council meeting this week. I've had uh, quite a bit of correspondence lately asking questions about the uh, uh, donation uh, of the Schneider lands by the Schneider family, and we've brought it before council before. I recognize that there are concerns about uh, parking, liability, safety. I was just wondering what is the status of, um, of that issue? Uh, staff are continuing to work with our partners at the City of Waterloo. It is a boundary road that runs along the portion of the property. Um, meetings are occurring later this week as well. And at such time as we have a collective response to address those issues that you raise, being uh, safety of the road, parking, access, um, those matters, uh, we will be returning to Council with a report and a recommendation, but uh, it would be not practical to bring back a report and a recommendation without having the answers to the questions previously raised by council. Okay, thank, thank you uh, for that answer. And just to say I appreciate your work. I, I know some people are raising questions, uh, making it seem as if we're not interested or we're not doing a good job. I, I appreciate the hard work that you are doing on that to try to find an amenable solution. That is Ward 4 Councillor in Wilmot, Stephen Martin, and the township's director of development services, Harold Okrafka, report coming back. But as we heard in our conversation with Stephanie Sobeck-Swant, the executive director of the Rare Charitable Research Reserve, they've been waiting since July for some sort of movement on this. That's July of 2023. We've turned the calendar into a brand new year. We're coming up on seven months since hearing a peep. Let's go like there's a lot at stake here and this would be this would be a travesty quite frankly for more than 200 acres of gifted land that the community has been using for all these years to not be transferred into the care of 
our rare charitable research reserve. All right, we got to get you to the City News Center for your 10 a.m. update. Following that, it's time for, some say, an adult conversation on immigration. And you know what? We're the place to have that grown-up conversation. We'll have it next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Request on this all request Friday here on the program from our good friend Bob wanted to hear a little bit of CanCon again and some raise a little hell by Trooper. If you don't like what you got, why don't you change it? Maybe that could be made to connect to the conversation we are about to have around immigration. Maybe it's time to take a look at some changes to our immigration policy. Aaron Woodrick is the director of the Domestic Policy Program at the McDonald laurier Institute. Joins us for the conversation. Aaron, good morning. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Always a pleasure to be on with my hometown station. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you back in the hometown for a conversation just like this. And, you know, it's not lost on me as we we think about and, and have a conversation about immigration that our country its history really is yep. has been almost entirely shaped by immigration, has it not? It absolutely has been. And I think that's why it's important to have this conversation. This is not about attacking immigrants or taking a really dark turn. Um, it's about having an honest, honest conversation about pros and cons. Uh, there are a lot of Canadians right now that are worried, uh, things like housing that we can get into. I mean, it's not about, you know, hating individuals who come here. It's just, frankly, about numbers. It's just, uh, it's just a supply and demand game. And immigration is adding to that pressure, which is, which is causing a lot of stress and, and concern in Canada. And when you talk about those numbers, Aaron, we have seen dramatic increases in those numbers in recent years. What has been the economic impact? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. One has uh, obviously been the the impact on housing prices, um, particularly in university and college towns, because the single biggest increase has actually been in the student stream. Um, people are talking a lot about the sort of regular permanent residency and refugees. Th- those have been relatively steady or increased slightly. It is the it is the post-secondary student stream that has exploded over the last 10 to 15 years. That has not uh, come along with increases in, you know, infrastructure and housing. And so, of course, that, that is is resulting in what we're seeing in terms of housing prices, difficulty finding doctors, um, a lot of a lot of challenges, and it's also you know putting more people into the labor force. That's good for employers that want to have uh, you know cheaper employees, but uh, of course it's it's lowering overall GDP. So the the average income uh, in Canada is actually going down a little bit. Yeah, and when you talk about that, this is something I've heard more and more about in recent weeks. While GDP may look good as an overall number, it's actually hiding that average household incomes the income is just being uh, the, the income is being spread out further with more families 
That's right. I mean, normally what in an ideal world, when you have immigrants, when we talk about high skilled immigrants, if they come and they're earning uh, incomes that are average or above average, you, you raise overall GDP. Right. So that's a, that's a positive in terms of every Canadian on paper is, is worth more. Uh, when you bring in folks who are earning less than the average, that drags it down. And we're seeing a, a greater shift towards that in recent years. What is it, Aaron, that has led us, do you believe, to this point where the numbers are just so high that looking strictly by the sheer number is so high and it's causing these problems economically and with our existing infrastructure, be it housing supply or healthcare, for example. How did we get here? Yeah, I think there's two main problems. One's on the one's on the supply side, one's on the demand side. On the supply side, housing, I mean, Canada has long had difficulty building housing. We're just, we, we haven't been building enough houses to keep up with population growth for, for almost 30 years. Um, and for a long time, we could ignore this. But as we've seen, especially during the pandemic, this has reached a breaking point now where a lot of uh, even upper middle class Canadians cannot afford a home. Um, so it's going to take a while to make up for that. You know, all levels of government are finally starting to pay attention to this, but it's going to take five or 10 years to fix that. So that's the one side. On the other side, in terms of uh, demand and the number of students, this is largely, again, because of the student stream. There are a lot of colleges and universities in Canada that are under a financial strain. They don't get enough funding from governments. They can't charge Canadian students, international students, they can charge a lot of money. So there's a very strong incentive for them to import uh, international students so they can charge a lot. And that is the reason we've seen this explosion locally. For example, Conestoga College has seen the number of international students, you know, go from hundreds to over 10,000 in the last 15 years. So this is just a very dramatic shift. I, I think many of us can relate to these conversations around the economic impact and how it's impacting our existing infrastructure, uh, be it tangible in housing or soft infrastructure, if you want to call it that, inability to find doctors, etc. But one of the other things that you write about in your recent piece that not too many people are willing to stick their necks out on mm-hmm. is the cultural friction that also is a result. Yeah, look, and this I know is a touchy subject, and I, I come at this, again, from an earnest place. You know, uh, my, my mother comes from China, my dad's from Germany, my wife's from, uh, her background's Indian, so, you know, I think it's fair to say I come from a pretty multicultural place. When I talk about uh, cultural friction, it's really a question of integration. I think most Canadians are welcoming, we welcome people from elsewhere, but there is this sort of implicit understanding that when people come here, um, they sort of, uh, to a certain extent, uh, you know, they accept uh, Canadian uh, the Canadian way of life. doesn't mean you can't retain your own language and cultures, but there is this sort of idea you're joining a national project, and it's something we're all gonna we're gonna look forward and build together, um, you know, as a community. So uh, when it comes to the um, number of people, I think there's this question of absorption capacity, right? Uh, it, how many can you take and still sort of integrate people into 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 Canada and the Canadian way of life? Um, and that's something that you know people are very reluctant to to say anything about because they don't want to be seen as discriminatory or racist. But I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's uh, that's the intent of most Canadians. I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, people start to get, um, some people anyway, get discomforted when they see uh, so many people coming all at once that are very different from them. It just it just creates a bit of uh, stress and tension for a lot of folks. Do you think that we perhaps have reached the tipping point of that absorption rate? 
It's a, that's a very good question, and it depends where you go in the country, right? There are parts of this country that take a very disproportionately large number of migrants, and it also really comes down to personality, Mike. I mean, there's some. I liken it to people's taste for food, right? Like some people like to try a lot of different foods; they are adventurous. Other people, they know what they like and they like to stick to it. Neither of those things is good or bad. It's just personal preference, and I think that also applies when it comes to uh, new new people from other cultures. Some people are just more open and naturally comfortable with it, and other people they're just reluctant because they're unfamiliar and they and they don't know what to expect do you do you sense aaron that this is why recent surveys point to declining eroding support for immigration in canada I think, Mike, the majority of it is driven by concerns about cost of living. I really do believe that if the economy was booming, people could buy a house, people could find a doctor, you know, if these concerns were addressed, I think you'd see far less consternation. I do think that the cultural element is still part of it. I I do think that there are people who, you know, they they are perfectly fine with people who want to come here and and join our national project. They worry about people that want to come here and essentially live uh, a life as if they were still in their home country, but in physically in Canada. I, I think that is a sub, subsection of it. But I think right now, I mean, housing is definitely at the top of the list. The title put on your piece was, it's time for a grown-up conversation on immigration. And I, I, I like the arguments that you made, certainly found them worth talking about, which leads us to this conversation this morning. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, Aaron, if if you think we are ready as as a nation. I mean, are these conversations, these grown-up conversations happening federally? <laughs> I don't know that we have a lot of grown-up conversations about politics generally. Yeah, in this good country, point. Mike. So, so maybe it's wishful thinking. But, like, I think we're getting there. I think that at least, um, you know, a few years ago, even talking about lowering immigration at all was kind of verboten. I think now we are uh, at the point where we can at least recognize, and I think even economists, uh, you know, politicians, both in power and in opposition, are recognizing that it, certainly from the housing angle and the student angle, we have a challenge that we definitely need to get our hands on. Aaron, really appreciate you making time for the show this morning. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. Aaron Woodrick is the director of the Domestic Policy Program at the McDonald laurier Institute. He says it's time for a grown-up conversation on immigration. I hope what you just heard was part of that, and I hope also that you'd be interested in furthering it a little bit. Aaron makes the point, and I think we all understand it, that our country has been largely shaped by immigration. We are who and what we are because of immigration. However, things have been a lot different in recent times, and it has led to a number of challenges that Aaron outlines in his piece. There's the economic impact, there's the infrastructure capacity, And then there is the far more taboo subject of the cultural friction that can result. There have been, I think, some more open and honest statements at minimum made around immigration. Conversations around putting a cap on international student visas, for example. Although in my morning papers today, universities are reacting to that and talking about the negative outcomes that could result, and I totally get it, because obviously there is a revenue stream there that the post-secondary institutions are in need of. But we, we have certainly arrived at a place. If you believe the polling, and the polling says, hey, you know what? 
there is declining support in Canada for immigration generally. I think Aaron hits it on the head, too. If we were booming economically, those conversations would be different. We probably wouldn't even be thinking about it as much. But when you're struggling to find housing or you're struggling to find a a job that pays the bills, and then you see so many more people coming into the country who then are looking for that same housing, are looking for those same jobs, etc., you can see where the frustration might set in. Let's see if we can continue the grown-up conversation around immigration at 519-570-2545, star 570-1-800-570-5715. Sean, good morning. Good morning. I, I think there's a couple of points here. Um, okay, like we need immigration because of our, the increasing age of our demographic. But the federal government, I think they need to step up. Uh, like, you just can't bring people into Canada and toss them on the street. They need housing. They need jobs. And the federal government needs to help because the, the provinces obviously can't handle it. And the other thing is, too, is, the, is these people, like, he, he brought up a thing about them wanting to live as if they're back at home, but physically in Canada. They have to consider the reason they left their country. Why are they here? Our country's the way it is because of things that we've done, our culture. And they have to think about why are they here as opposed to still at home. Sean, I appreciate the call. It makes me think of something I've been hearing more of lately, and that is that Canada is still a very desirable destination. Some are expressing concern about that desirability long term. But today, if you were to go around and ask people looking to leave where they're currently living, have Canada as a pretty high-priority choice when it comes to the next destination. We're seeing that play out, too. We'll take a break, come back with more of your calls. It's time for a grown-up conversation on immigration. You want to be a part of it? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. I do think that there are people who, they are perfectly fine with people who want to come here and join our national project. They worry about people that want to come here, essentially live a life as if they were still in their home country, but in physically in Canada. I think that is a subsection of it. But I think right now, I mean, housing is definitely the top of the list. down one of the weirdest songs that Rush ever recorded. Right up there with I Think I'm Going Bald In the Mood by request on this All Request Friday on the Mike Farwell Show. You heard from Aaron Woodrick, the Director of Domestic Policy at the McDonald Laurier Institute. He says it's time for a growing up conversation on immigration. So we thought what the heck, we're all growing ups here. Let's have the conversation. We'll go back to the phones. Jersey Bill, good morning. Yes, you know, I, I really feel that people are looking at immigration the wrong way. Uh, and and uh, actually, the United States and, and Canada are, are dealing with the situation in different ways. 
but it's it's the same group of immigrants. You know, they're coming from East Asia, South Asia, but so many of them are coming from Central America and South America. And I know for a fact that I remember back in the 90s, I was working as a security guard. We would see these these folks come in at night to clean the uh, office building, and they were an extended an extended family. You know, so they they talk about chain migration, especially in the states and all, but even here, I th- I think they should let in. Extended families, because guess what those extended families did? They they went into those really large houses that used to have uh, maybe European immigrant families that might have had five to ten children. Well, now they had uh, extended family of maybe ten, fifteen that they filled up that house very nicely and maintained it. And also they they worked their menial jobs, but they pulled their money and they got ahead. And I'm sure that they 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 helped their their young people get educations. And that was the best way to ensure that that the immigrant isn't a burden on society, but that the immigrant families came here as a coherent family unit and and succeeded. And I think that both Canada and the U.S. need to see things in those ways. Not that the immigrants going to be a burden, but ensure that that they that the family uh, structure comes in intact and they are, they are able to take advantage of everything they can take advantage job wise and social wise. And, and really integrate and become a positive tax-paying base for the Canadian and U.S. society. Billy, I think you're spot on. And I think what you're getting at there is what we need to do in this country, and that is reimagine or have a grown-up conversation about existing immigration policy. Because while this family reunification is absolutely a part of what we do, I, I think that we have loopholes for lack of a better word to close and just ensure that what we have available for these folks when they arrive matches the arrivals if i can put it that way which i just did uh back to the phones sue good morning hey good morning to you yes i really think um a lot of the immigrants take our bus services and uh it's really funny how you think these uh skilled laborers of the, whoever drives these tractors to clear the snow, they always leave a huge pile right at the post, which is used for people to balance um, at the thing or to board, and it also gives uh, a little bit of a, a line of judgment for the bus driver to pull up. And so you have all these dear immigrants having to uh, clamor over this unnecessary pile of snow and ice right at the post and the post is used for balance as well i totally get it sue but i think that applies across the board right to anybody who is using transit and certainly at this time of year we hear a lot about it uh quickly to one more before the news dave good morning yes good morning um he used the interesting word he used the word integrated i I find that hard to swallow because I don't think they're really integrating into Canada. Like, they took Christmas out of this public Nobody took Christmas out of anything, Dave. Come on. They, That's such a tired my, trope. My, my daughter goes to public school, the and I know a principal of a Catholic school board person, and they said that the Waterloo County... District School Board is not allowed to celebrate Christmas. Stop it, Dave. Because they don't Stop want to it, Dave. anybody. Dave. Oh, uh, you know what? The day... Oh, I'm just going to reach back and stretch. The day I don't hear that tired old phrasing uttered will be my best 
day ever. Nobody has taken Christmas away. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Is it too early to say that? We're only about 350 days away from the next holiday season. (laughs) We're going to get you to the City News Centre for an update at 10.30, about three minutes from now. Uh, Still to come on the show today, as you know, it's Friday. That means our Friday 4 roundtable will get together between 11 and 12. Talk about the week's big stories. The head coach of the Kitchener Rangers is going to be here. What a weekend it is for the Kitchener Rangers. At home tonight to London, in London tomorrow against those same nights. Bring it on. And then, of course, we've got your 12 o'clock talkback hour from the end of the coach's show until the end of our show here today. But following this 10.30 update from the City News Centre, time for a little bit of living retired. If you don't know what it's like, our next guest will fill you in on some of the adventures. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. What you do to me When you hold me In your arms so tight You let me know Everything's alright I'm hooked on a feeling Now, did Blue Swede sing Ooga Chaka, Ooga Chaka Or Gary Chaka, Gary Chaka I'm not quite sure But it is Gary Chaka Chalk, just Gary Chalk, joining us as he does every Friday morning to talk a little more about life, living, retired. And and Gary, just before we air some dirty laundry, which I can't believe you're going to do, you've got you've got courage, my friend. <laughs> but just before we do that, I received an email from Russell who says he turns sixty five next year, and well, he's in it for the long haul. He can only dream of the days that you and me are about to talk about through your humor columns. So there you go. It's something to look forward to, Mike. It is something to look forward to. So I'm told, in fact, I ran into a a good old friend at the hockey game in Guelph on Wednesday night who I've known forever and ever, amen, and he's very excitedly looking forward to his retirement towards the end of next month. So there you go. Good stuff. Yes, sir. So, I mean, really, again, I say, courageous you are, sir. (laughs) Why on earth would you decide to air your dirty laundry for all 40-plus people to hear on this radio program this morning? Well, Mike, you know, I I think these are issues we need to talk about. (laughs) Yes, they are. And and I'll I'll begin with a question of you, Mike. Who in your home, in the Farwell household, who does the laundry? Is it your wife? Do you chip in? Your, Your daughter? Who's responsible? My beloved handles the load said deliberately by me. Well, boy, I'll tell you, good for you. I know. I used to do the laundry um, in our household. We sort of split all the chores, Jan and I, and I I was responsible for for laundry. And then one time, she she had this new new pair of leggings, and I think they were probably expensive. They were red. And, well, I'll put it this way, when I pulled them from the washing machine, these these red leggings were maybe about the size of a a pair of red hot pants. (laughs) (laughs) And that's even before I threw them in the dryer and set the heat level to scorch. So, you know, that things changed. That's when things totally changed, and, and now it's a tag team 
team tag team team to doing this. Well, you know what, Gary? It, 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 I, may I be so bold as to suggest that perhaps you did this deliberately so you wouldn't, <laughs> right? You wouldn't have to be responsible for all that laundry. Well, you're onto something there, Mike. <laughs> I, I, I knew you were a bright man. How do you, though, manage to tag team that particular chore? Well, what we do, we, we sort of wrestle together, pulling apart all the rolled-up balls of dirty socks that get scratched. <laughs> you know, the socks always end up in the laundry hamper, just, just in this, almost looks like a tennis ball. So uh, what, what, what we've done more recently, we have um, up on the wall in the laundry, I have something I call the single sock sack. And that's where all the single socks accumulate. And they're waiting there for a match to come along. It doesn't happen frequently. It takes a long time. But, uh, you know, I I guess it's like the online dating site eHarmony, but this is for socks. They're waiting for this match to come along. And then eventually it gets to the size that I, that I, I we pull them all out, and, and sometimes I'll try to, to stretch them, and maybe I can get them, get them into another pair of leg warmers for Jan. <laughs> Just keep pulling and pulling. Pulling and pulling and pulling. You know, it, I have so many thoughts on this, because I, I used to also do laundry, and it was probably the chore I liked the least. And I had a friend say to me, he, my buddy said to me one time, why, why do you possibly, how can you possibly dislike doing the laundry? The machine does all the work. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but you just touched on one piece of it. There's the sorting, right? Oh, the, the, oh. the uh, you know, making sure everything is where it needs to be. Then it goes into one machine. And then when that machine is done, and it doesn't take so long that you can go out and grab a cup of coffee or, <laughs> or you know, go for a five-mile jog, you got to wait for the machine to finish doing its business before you move the stuff to another machine. So you're handling the same clothes multiple times. And then when it's done in the second machine, you have to then fold it all up and put it away. Like, honest to goodness... I want to do laundry once in my lifetime, not once a week. Well, it, it, it really comes down to, I think you have to start to prepare. As Jan always has taught me, it's all about preparation. So you have to get those loads organized, Mike. And Jan and I, we're, we're sort of like Japanese sumo wrestlers because we take all these laundry hampers and we turn them upside down and then we violently throw them all over the floor. <laughs> you know, the, the, the laundry room is flooded with these, these, these mounds of loads and almost up to my waist. And, and I was counting last week, we're up to nine different piles or loads. You know, there's the dark load, which I can identify with. Sure. The light load. There's something called, and I don't get this one, Mike, the bright load. What on earth? I don't know what that is. <laughs> there's the white load. Oh, there's the jeans load, the towel load, the delicate load, special garments load. That's just eight. And that brings us to the ninth load. And this is the most important one. If, if we can only learn one thing today, this is the load that Jan calls the whatever you do, Gary, don't screw this load up. <laughs> so it's the most important load of all. None of my clothes are in there. Oh, really? <laughs> so in other words, the clothes that you wear and put into the laundry can easily be screwed up when it comes to be laundry day. Oh, every every yeah, week. Yeah, doesn't every matter, week. right? That's right. We're right. simple we're simple creatures after all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god, you know, and and when all those loads when we've got them all on the floor, it sort of looks like the Andes Mountains range. We've got you know, not only do we have loads based on what I think are colors, but now we have to go through the the second 
phase of loading, and we put them according to the, the, the material. There's the wool load. Of course. Cottons. Sure. You got a linen load. You got the silk load. You got the polyester load. And, and Mike, if you can help me out, there's one load. Ours, it's called viscose. Who what now? I, I, I can't imagine what viscose is. Viscose. Viscose. No, I got nothing. Yeah, you got me there. I, I just know that we have some clothes that are in the viscose lo- uh, load, and <laughs> I, I just, you know, move on. The viscose load. Viscose. As in this goes here and that goes there? <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe that is not viscose. It's this goes. Exactly. This goes, viscose. I don't know. I've, okay. That's one I've never heard of. Now the light's coming on. See, we can get this all figured out between the two of us. But what I can't understand is how you and Jan have been married all this time, and yet you managed to do laundry together. Like, surely, to goodness, this is a recipe for marital discord. Well, a year ago, it was during COVID, our uh, washing machine packed it in, and I had to go, and I, and I said I would do it. I, I loaded all these things in, and I went to a, to a laundromat. Now, there's an experience, Mike. There's an experience. You've got to have the right number of quarters, and the experts, all the other people in the laundromat, they know how to sort of use two or three machines side by side. Yep. And then they turn around and they have two or three dryers side by side. I, I'm a one machine man. You want to use, I, I think I know the machine because I've been there too. Yep. And I go to the machine that has the largest capacity and it, I just stuff all the things in that machine. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I, I put everything in. This is, well, it got to the point I came home from after a couple of times. Jan wanted to go because what I was bringing back, she kept looking at this stuff and say, you sure these are our clothes? Well, maybe they weren't. Maybe they weren't. <laughs> exactly. You know, you bring back fond memories for me because what I was saying at the beginning, that the reason that doing the laundry just drives me crazy because it's, to me it's just it's too much handling of the same thing over and over again and i in fairness gary i did two loads i did my lights and my darks and 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 then if the you know the brights or the sort of lights i mean i would just decide is it light enough to be in the lights or is it dark enough to be in the darks that was it two loads hey jan always says i'm in the dark so you <laughs> you know where that's going but at the at the laundromat gary the beauty of that is there are so many machines that if you put them to use properly, you can get the job done more quickly because you've got three or four machines going at one time. And then, of course, I'm sure you know this little hack, too. You look for the dryers that somebody else has just finished using yep. so you can take advantages of some of the leftover heat. Exactly. Three, yeah. three or four minutes is better than, than having to pay another quarter. That's right. I made the mistake. I went up to my car the one time, the laundromat. I came back in. I couldn't remember which machines I had. <laughs> we need to leave a trail of breadcrumbs or something. Well, well, exactly. You know, maybe I should get some Tide Pods and just throw them on all the floor, and that'll lead me back. I, I mean, I sat there, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what do we do? So finally, a machine stopped. I slowly looked around, made sure no one was looking, quickly opened the lid, and whew, that's, our, that's our load. Yep. Okay. Didn't want to invade in somebody else's laundry. Tide pods. I'm glad you brought them up because I was wondering about this from the get-go here, Gary. Because, again, if I'm thinking back on my days of doing laundry, first of all, 
you've never taken part in the uh, Tide Pod Challenge or whatever. Well, you've never eaten one, right? No, no. Okay, good. <laughs> good. I'm, I want to just make sure we're all aware that it is not something anybody should ever do or have done. You're right. Okay. So when I first started doing laundry, the only, well, no, I think the liquid detergent was out, but I would use the powder. I'd have a little scoop in the box, yep, right? Yep, yep. And you'd scoop the powder according to the directions. And admittedly, sometimes, you know, you'd end up with some clumps of that laundry yep. detergent or whatever, and it could be a little bit frustrating, but I was reluctant. I was reluctant to go to the liquid, but eventually I did. And I, I, but now we've got these, these pods and what, what bothers me about the pods, Gary, is I think now the detergent maker, like Tide is telling me how much detergent I should use. They have control. I want control because I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've been known to, to, you know, save a nickel or two over time. So if the, if the instructions called for, you know, X amount of liquid detergent, I'd probably use a little less so I could get another load or two out of a bottle because I had control over how much I used. Well, you know, it's interesting because not only we're, we are uh, um, are uh, liquid as well, uh, but Jan insists on fabric softener. And on, on our machine, there's a little special separate tray where you put in the fabric softener as opposed to the the laundry detergent. Right. And if I'm not careful, I got the wrong ones. I mean, I washed an entire load in fabric softener once. Oh, gosh. And, well, I'll tell you. How did that come out for you, Gary? Well, I was put out on the line to dry. Let's put it that way. It was just, (laughs) it was not a pretty sight when I, you know, first thing I made the mistake, I admitted to it. And uh, after that, Jan was upset. I, I just felt like the lonely Maytag repairman. I was just sitting there by myself. And uh, so she gave me some more instructions, and uh, I was back at it. And, uh, you know, the most important instruction, Gary, whatever you do, don't screw up this load. That's right. The viscose load. No, wait. We, we still don't know what that is. <laughs> whatever happened, though, to the old-fashioned dryer sheets, they still work, don't they? That's like fabrics. That's the fabric softener, isn't it? Well, I think so. Yeah. We also have something. I don't know if you've heard of this trick. Here's a little Eloise uh, household hint for you, Mike. We have this. Uh, I, I think it's nothing more than a, than a tennis ball. And on certain <sighs> items that you put in the dryer, you put in this tennis ball. And it bounces all around, and it's supposed to take the electricity or something out of the out of all the clothes or something. I've heard of this. Yes, have you heard of that? I have. Oh my goodness! I'll, I'll tell you, the thing's clunking away, clunking away, hitting everything, and it's it's not it's not an easy process. When you, when you open the door, I always have. I'm anxious. And barely the bell rings, and I yank open the door. The drum hasn't stopped rotating yet and wing out comes the tennis ball bouncing <laughs> off the wall good thing it bounced off the wall and not yeah. off you <laughs> tennis elbow takes on a whole new meaning i did that one time i couldn't handle the racket i could yep. not handle the racket we are with gary chalk he is a humor columnist who writes living retired and joins us every friday morning at ten thirty. if you want to air some dirty laundry with us on the program this morning you're always welcome to do so, we'll continue with Living Retired on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Mm-hmm. 
read my, can't read my, no, he can't read a my polka face. She's got the love nobody. Can't read my, can't read my, no, he can't read a my polka face. She's got the love nobody. Nothing like a little Weird Al on your All Request Friday here on the program, riffing on Lady Gaga's poker face. It's a little polka face by request of Kyle here on the program this morning. We're in conversation with our good friend Gary Chalk, who's a humor columnist. You can find his Living Retired columns online at livingretired.press. And hey, while you're there, sign up to get the regular columns delivered right to your inbox, livingretired.press. We are talking this morning about doing the laundry and how Gary has managed to do laundry with his wife, Jen, for all these years and stay married is beyond me. But I think we struck a chord with our good friend, Jersey Bill. Billy, good morning. Yeah, I I knew the viscose was a a plant-based product. Uh, I just figured I'd I'd check it out. And sure enough, uh, it's it's made from um, each, uh, uh, each pine or eucalyptus uh, pulp, they, uh, they break it down using uh, uh, hyd- hydro. Uh, let's see what is sodium hydroxide <laughs> and, you know, and a lot of and a lot of and a lot of and a lot of water. Uh, so it's it's actually not all that environmentally friendly. And the other thing too is that Gary should keep in mind is that they advise that you should not put it in the washing machine. It should be dry cleaned because that has a tendency to stretch. Is that if you were going to wash it by hand, make make sure you only use cold water and don't wring it out because the fabric will stretch. It has some nice properties in terms of of um, uh, being soft and things, but uh, it, it's uh, in some ways it's uh, it's less environmentally uh, friendly and uh, uh, and and sort of um, durable than something like polyester, which I certainly don't like. But uh, that's the story of viscose. Jersey Bill, you make a good comment then. From using this plant-based product, you're saying it gives a little more stretch to the material. Maybe I can dig out, dig out that pair of leggings that became hot pants and run it through with this stuff, and then they'll stretch back out, and Jan will have another new pair of leggings. Oh yeah, I tell you what. Yes, you know what? How I keep how we, one of the ways we keep peace in this house is I do my wash, and my wife does her wash. <laughs> There have been too many times where I have shrunk a favorite sweater or I've done something else that she doesn't like. So so actually, she's retired now, too, so she does her wash the way she likes it, and I do my wash the way I like it, and we don't argue. Oh, <laughs> or we have one less argument. We have one less argument. That's it. That's it. Now that, we know, what, now that we know what Visco's clothing is, though... Gary, I need to know, like, what's going on in the chalk household that you have a whole, like, load of... I've never heard of this stuff before. Well, there, there's so many different loads, I honestly can't keep track of them all, Mike. You know, there, there's that, you know, I go back to what, what you said, which is the, the somewhat. I think that's the operative word here. It's sort of the somewhat dark load and somewhat light, and you could, you could, inter, you could change the word somewhat to sort of. You know, sort of dark, sort of light, sort of bright. And, uh, you know, Bob's your uncle. Away you go. (laughs) All right, Billy. Thanks for calling in this morning. It's always good to hear from you. Sure thing. (laughs) Happy to help. (laughs) Gary Chalk is a humor columnist, and he writes the Living Retired column. You can find it online, livingretired.press. Our listeners are uh, an absolute fountain of useful, I think. Can we call it useful information? 
Well, it's certainly information that I'll take under consideration. Of course, you know, <laughs> I'll have to check with the boss first and, and make sure. I just want to make sure that I mention that for full disclosure, um, I, I once laundered money. And, um, you know, well, what happened, and this is a true story, I had a, oh, just, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars of Canadian tire money. And all those 25 cent and 5 cent and 10 cent pieces of paper, that I kept them in this, this old shoe box, and it was underneath the sink in the laundry room. And I don't know how much money I had, how many pieces of paper, but the box was full. Well, wouldn't you know it, we had a, we had a leak. And I pulled out the shoebox, and all my Canadian Tire money, all that paper money, was soaked, soaked right through. So I had a good idea. What I did was I, I sort of separated it as best I could, and I opened up the dryer. I put it all in the dryer and gave it about a 15-minute heat cycle. <laughs> this is true. And uh, so that, that's my one time that I, that I laundered my money. Did you did you shrink the money? Well, let's just put it this way. When Jan found out, she's now in the witness protection program. <laughs> Any of our friends from anti-racketeering with OPP. <laughs> That's right. Gary Chalk just admitted to having laundered some money. Let's squeeze in one more quickly before the news. Nathan, good morning. Nathan. Laundry. Um, I got two young kids, and uh, not once, not twice, but three times we have um, I don't know how, how it happens, but we have burnt or kind of melted crayons into our clothing. <laughs> and I can't draw with it, so it's pretty useless. Nathan, I love that. You know, Gary, you talk about laundering money. I guess when it comes to retired time, the only crayons that'll end up in the laundry is if the grandkids are visiting. Oh, my gosh. We've done that. The other thing, quickly, Nathan, have you ever gone on the dryer only to realize... You didn't empty the pockets, and oh. somebody's tissues are all through there. You got this white specks of uh, of uh, Kleenex. It's all over the dryer. It's all over the clothes. It's everywhere. It is indeed, and it happens to the best of us, even Gary Chalk, our humor columnist who writes Living Retired. It's always fun, my friend. Thanks for joining us again today. My pleasure. Go Rangers. Gary Chalk writes the Living Retired humor column. You can find it online, livingretired.press, and get more of what you just heard in written form if you'd like to sign up for his weekly newsletter. This is the Mike Farwell Show. An update from the City News Center and then our Friday 4 roundtable as we discuss the week's big stories coming up on City News 570 and Rogers TV. We're just trying to make you feel warm on a rather frigid Friday. A little Mexican radio wall of voodoo 
It's an all-request Friday musically here on the program. And we request time of guests each and every week between 11 and noon for the Friday Four Roundtable. And those who have graciously accepted our offer of coming on the show with us, Philip Mills, who's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Waterloo Region. Good morning, Phil. Morning, Mike. Marjorie Knight is with us as well, family outreach worker with the House of Friendship. Good morning, Marjorie. Good morning. And our DJ this morning, and a fellow who spent nearly 30 years working in local media, uh, Phil Molto is with us as well. DJ Phil, good morning. Good morning, and thank you for that warm shot of Mexican weather. But as you see behind me, snowmobiling season has started. I'm in the Snowmobile Museum here in uh, here in Air, Ontario. So that's my background today. So conflict. Do I like the snowmobile or the Mexican weather? I like them both. Let's go. boy. Well, you know, what a great segue. Do you like them both? Philip Mills, I'm going to start with you on this one. And in this case, both really is the competing visions that we seem to have for the future of our municipal government. We heard six mayors yesterday saying, you know what you should do? You should download more to the municipalities and let them deliver more of the services. You had our regional chair saying, you know what? You should you should upload more service delivery to the regional government. And then, oh, yeah, there's poor Waterloo Mayor Dorothy McCabe, who was not invited to any of the parties. What a day we had yesterday. Philip Mills, I'm going to give you the first crack at this. What do you think the form of government is that will best serve us in the future? So I'm going to I'm going to in a certain sense dodge your question. I don't think the like a particular form one way or the other is going to make the big difference. Like I think the issue that we're going to run into one way or the other is the politics of politics. Like this can work great if we've got two-tier government if everybody involved is, you know, working well together and it can grind to a halt if we've got politicians that don't want to work well together. In the same way having one tier of government like that doesn't stop that from happening. Like the question, I think, in some respects, you know, in some ways, in the end, is less about where the power sits and how, and more about how those with power want to work together or not. What are the motives of those who have control over? Now, there is a argument to be made that, like, the more people you have, the harder it is to get everybody moving in the right direction. But you know, consolidated power in one particular spot also isn't great. So I'm not, I don't have a strong opinion, consolidation or not. It's far more of, is this set up to succeed in a way where we can actually get done what needs to be done? Because you can't, as it stands right now, moving around who has, if you move around, let's say one of the topics was planning power and who should have planning power. Okay, that's great. But planning and transportation are going to go together and the region controls buses. And so if you want to start talking about planning to where homes are going, well, you know, are buses going to be there? If not, like that's a regional conversation. And so all of a sudden you're back to having the two tiers needing to work together even if you start moving around some of the bits and pieces. So I think there is a, you know, there's efficiencies to be found. But in the end, like the question here is, you know, are politicians able to work well together? And I don't think that that changes if we have one tier of government or two. You can call it a dodge if you want. That's a really well-rounded and thought-out answer as to where we're at. And maybe there is a little bit of paralysis by politics around here right now. Marjorie, your thoughts? I think a lot of what Philip is saying makes a lot of sense. And I think that's that's what we see um, in, in our region. 
you know, when they're talking about infrastructure, they're talking about hospitals, talking about court systems, please note Cambridge does not have court anything. And everything Cambridge has, they have to go to KW4. And so people from Cambridge are not too thrilled about moving to a regional government because they feel they'll be left behind. Because every time there's a consolidation of something, it moves to Kitchener-Waterloo and out of Cambridge. So people in Cambridge have are very suspicious about these things. And I believe people keep saying that we're whining, which I really have a problem with. They're valid thoughts. But the, what Philip says remains true. What happens in the end is how do people work together to get things done? We have a huge housing crisis. We all know this. And we all know that somehow the entire region has to come together to work on a plan. That means certain things have to be aligned, the way you you do processes, all these kinds of things. And we have to really pull on our big girl pants and figure out ways to work together to normalize certain things so that processes run smooth. The bottom line is... How do we work together to get it done, whether we're two-tier or one-tier? When you talk about that suspicious nature, Marjorie, and watch things like courtrooms relocate to the city of Kitchener, for example, courthouses, you, do, you, do you like what Cambridge Councillor Nicholas Ermetta is talking about and what he proposed at the meeting yesterday in Kitchener, that Cambridge go its own and become a separate entity from the region? And then again, I... I No, I don't really agree with that because I think there's power in us working together as a team. I think Cambridge needs more input. I think things need to happen in Cambridge. I think we are too often an afterthought. At least that's how it feels. Um, But I, I think that there is power in numbers and the numbers as a region, we're really powerful. We're huge. We're what tenth largest? Yes, we are. We we are leading in in economic matters. We're pushing the edge. We have all these startups. We have all these things going on. We have a lot going for us when we pull together and do things. So going alone, I mean, yeah, it sounds nice and everything, but I think that we still need to be a part of the region in order to to really fulfill our full potential. All right, Phil Molto, you once ran for council in Kitchener. You wanted to be one of the chosen 59 elected officials in this community. Yes. <laughs> I, I want to be one of those people dodging my Twitter account this morning. <laughs> yeah, it could uh, be a tough boy, place this is, today. This, 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 this discussion has been going on for decades. They spent all day yesterday on it, and spending 15 minutes a day, wow, it, it's tough because there's so much history, so much you know, from what former politicians have said, current politicians, people who've gone from different levels of representation, representing the region. Uh, at the end, uh, there's one part that confuses me over the last while. People say, well, what, how are we saving money? It's hard to put a number on how are we saving money or is this about logistics? Because when I've gone to councils, people come to talk to council and it's like, well, that's a regional issue. That's not a, that's not a city issue. They're not sure who do we even lobby. Or you look at people who want infrastructure for accessibility. You got bike paths that stop at roads. You got snow plows that turn around and go the other direction. There's, there's so much just inner city and inner regional logistics that don't make sense when you got two tiers who say, 
they're not ducking the responsibility, but it's not their jurisdiction. That's regional or that city. And it's just so much of, of it that happens within the cities and within the region that I, I'm a big fan of one tier just to avoid all the confusion. It's not about dollars and cents. In five years, that may all come to fruition. They're actually savings because we're not doing the same job twice or having two crews turn around and head their own way. It's it's a great way of setting up logistics under one one tier and one tier only. Cambridge came together as four t- four municipalities to form one region, and now they're happy. You'll still hear people the Hespler on the Queen Street have a different view, but I think we're just we've become so close together. It's hard not to. It's hard to stay separate after a while. If Cambridge can do it, Marjorie, we can all do it, right? Preston, Hespler, Galt, Blair. It's all just Cambridge now, and it is. And but you know, I I still say that you know there are certain areas that would really benefit being run by one level. And maybe, you know, we just have to come together and look at some of those things. We're talking, you know, certain infrastructure, certain things like water and sewage and those kinds of things. Maybe we need, it's a time when we need to decide what needs to be done at what level, period. Maybe that's what the discussion needs to be around. I do sometimes wonder how much of the issues that we're running into are like of our own making that we vote in politicians and the only thing that we'll vote them in for is, you know, fix all of our problems and do it for less taxes. And then we get mad that somehow they can't fix all of our problems and they have to raise taxes because things cost more. And so I don't even like sometimes I wonder how much of the inefficiencies we see are because we said, well, you need to cut money. And so they cut good staff, they cut planning, they cut all of the administration and other bits and pieces like governments are actually pretty efficient more often than not. I know we told that they aren't, but they're pretty good at what they do. We just don't want to pay more in tax. And so we sometimes I feel like some of the dysfunction that we feel is us getting what we pay for, which is we won't vote for a politician that says, hey, I'm going to raise taxes and fix everything. We'd never vote for them. We only vote for the politician that says, I'm going to fix everything and it won't cost you a dime, which like we should probably know that like too good to be true probably isn't true. Really excellent point. Uh, quickly to Phil Molto. Yeah, just a quick comment. I was listening to uh, to Karen Redmond this morning on your show, and it's interesting how the infrastructure works, water distribution, different things. Like you don't realize the water gets so far, then it becomes a city. It, it, how this whole thing locks in together, like where the where the tap stops and starts from regional to Kitchener, is really confusing for a lot of people. I get confused by it sometimes. What's complete blanket control over region? What's what city? And then what shared? Those, there's such a, so many gray areas they create make it hard to solve problems because of those gray areas where what starts and what stops. Phil Molto, Marjorie Knight, Philip Mills with us on our Friday Four Roundtable this morning. We'll take a break, come back, and talk about those increases police noted this week we are seeing in youth crimes. This is the Mike Farwell Show and our Friday Four Roundtable on City News 570 and Rogers TV. The Kinks, 
take us around the dial on this All Request Friday as we go around our table every Friday morning from 11 until noon. It's the Friday Four Roundtable with us this morning, Marjorie Knight, Phil Molto, and Philip Mills. We have talked about the future of governance in this region. Let's talk about the future of our community and the young people within it because they are our future. And regional police noted at a board meeting this week that there has been an increase and a concerning one in youth crime in this community. Marjorie, how much does that concern you? Oh, it concerns me a lot. And it concerns me on a few different levels. You know, every year I come back to the table and I say, we need more community programming. We need more grassroots programming. We need to get our kids involved in all kinds of things that can engage them. And every year, the budget gets cut and the police budget goes up. We can't police our way out of these kinds of problems. The police taking the lead to work with youth is not going to solve the problems. We need to have funds to make sure that community centers are open, that they are running, that where we have problems with youth with homelessness and dealing with violence in their homes, that they have somewhere to go. So we're not cutting programs and cutting funds from places like One Roof, for instance, that is really the only place in our region that deals with youth um, homelessness. And it is the place where youth know to go when they're facing violence at home. And when we have community centers who do wonderful programming, like Adventure for Change, like Kind Minds, like uh, SCAR, Somali Canadian Association, who all do important work in their communities with youth and have to fight all the time, every time to get funds, to keep their programs going, to attract kids, to get them to do things. It's called a choice. And the choice was taken to bolster police and not bolster these programmings. We can't complain about our kids getting more violent and get into more trouble when we're not providing what they need to engage them and keep them off those streets. So when we grasp our pearls and gasp and say, oh my gosh, what are we? I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to need to put funds where we need to see them go so that our kids are engaged, that they're doing worthwhile stuff, that they're growing, that they're learning, and they're not targets for the criminal element who know that they can grab them right now because they're on their own out there. Well said all around. Phil Molto, thoughts on what we're seeing when it comes to youth crime? Wow, it's uh, there's so many different versions of what's wrong and how to fix it you know the old school is well you know discipline them let's let's give them this let's take away the juvenile records let's put the juvenile records back in let's have juvie detention let's get rid of juvie detention there's we've been all over the map for decades on how to address this 
one of the interesting things Marjorie mentioned community centers. I live in the uh, sort of the Mill Cortland St. Mary's neighborhood area, and the, the the statistics of where are the crimes committed by juveniles and where are they from? That juveniles, if you've got high crime in some areas of a city or a region, that may not necessarily be where the kids are from. They may come in from different areas. So even just documenting where's the where's the crime, criminal activity who are the young offenders who are committing it how do we address it just documenting all the data without infringing on rights is sensitive enough let alone coming up with a blanket policy and approach that is you know fair and understanding and supportive at the same time there's just so so many sides and different versions of how to approach this the deeper you go the deeper it gets the more confusing it gets philip mills think, you know, as a community, we have to be concerned about what we're hearing from our police force. And I think Marjorie's right. You know, the answer to this is not going to be the police force. You know, if we're talking about, um, you know, behaviors that, you know, result in criminality, the way to fix that is not, you know, stronger policing. You know, the way to fix that is to get at the root causes of why that stuff's happening. And, you know, I, Kind of, t- I joked earlier, maybe not joking about like maybe we just need more taxes. Like sometimes I think the answer is we need more of both. The police could probably be very well be underfunded, and our community services and supports are also wildly underfunded. And so I don't love when we pit the kind of two of them against each other. You know, when I think about the rise in this, how much of this is tied to trying to keep budgets low? And so you have to cut somewhere. And so we cut from the services, we cut from, you know, the social engagement stuff that keeps us. I also think we can't you know, overlook the reality of the past number of years. You know, kids that are in the age range that this study was talking about, you know, they had a, a sh- we're going to say rough, strange, terrible number of years where, you know, some of that social development, some of that connection, some of that place making, feeling a part of something was taken away when through the COVID pandemic. And we had to do that. But I think we can't overlook the impacts of the lingering impacts of the pandemic had on us as a community. And so when you have a number of people who have not felt connected to community, have not been in spaces where they can make friendships and make strong connections, whether it be through school or social programming, the fact that that has the negative impacts, like that is the type of thing we say, hey, how do, what are the upstream approach? Get kids connected, get them engaged, get them a part of stuff. Well, for three years, people couldn't be near anything for good reason but we are going to bear the brunt of those choices now and the the brunt of that reality. Like COVID isn't just something that harmed us physically, like the social impact and the um, psychological impact. It's going to resonate for a long time. And I think that's part of what we're seeing here. Those are some excellent points. And I admit to getting a little bit frustrated around the root causes conversation because we were having it 20 years ago. I know we were because I was part of it. And if we had invested then and begun addressing root causes then, I think the conversation today is much different. And when it comes to funding, we used to have a federally funded program through our former Waterloo Region Crime Prevention Council that was designed to help keep kids out of gangs. That funding dried up and the program disappeared with it. Some great points around our Friday Four Roundtable this morning with Marjorie Knight, Phil Molto, and Philip Mills. We're going to take a break, get an update from the City News Centre, and then, oh yeah, you want to go to a Service Ontario kiosk? Just find your nearest... Walmart or Staples. We'll talk about it next on the Mike Farwell Show with our Friday Four Roundtable on City News 570 and Rogers TV.
Well, along with Another One Bites the Dust, Radio Gaga by Queen, one of my favorite songs as a kid. DJ Phil picking the tunes on this All Request Friday with our Friday 4 Roundtable. That would be Phil Molto, who spent about 30 years working in media here locally and also is a former candidate in Kitchener's Ward 9. What is it you've got there now? Is that Air Rockets well, jersey? I'm in... I'm- in the, I'm in the town of Air, pirating their uh, Wi-Fi here. That's this is an old, old vintage Rocket Air's Rocket jersey behind me. Cool I love stuff. it. I love I love hockey history. Big win for the and, Air Centennials last night. Kitchener Rangers golf <laughs> shirt, looking good, looking good. We're not going to talk about who's in town today. We certainly aren't. They wear the colors though of that Air Rockets jersey you just held up. I'll tell you that. Uh, Philip Mills is with us as well, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Waterloo Region, and Marjorie Knight, who is a family outreach worker. At the House of Friendship. Okay, let's get into provincial and then some federal politics in our second half hour here on the Friday Four Roundtable, starting in the province. And this story started trickling out last week. Dare I say it got bigger this week when we learned it would not just be Staples stores where Service Ontario kiosks were going to be relocated, but also Walmart stores. And when it comes to the Walmart stores that will house some of these service Ontario centers, provincial taxpayers, you and me, are going to be footing the bill to retrofit the big box retailing Walmarts. Uh, Phil Molto, I'll start with you on this one. Is this the right direction for us to go? This falls under the old uh, journalism law. Remember the five W's? Why, where, who, when, what? Like, why? There was no reason for this to start. It just came out of nowhere. Uh, and we're dealing with a, a premier of government who loves talking about how we're creating good jobs and big jobs. They're just going to close at jobs at the LCBO Services Ontario and send them to a little kiosk wherever they can around. Whatever happened to creating good paying jobs with benefits? Why is this something we take all those government jobs and send them to somebody who can who can, you know, with bare bare bare, you know, bare minimum? I, I don't understand it. No, no, not meaning to insult anybody who works in these locations. But why are we taking out of the blue of these jobs and then just outsource them to companies, especially if it's not Canadian. I mean, 30 years ago, we would have gone to Zellers and we'd actually meet somebody, but they're going to American companies and we're paying the bill to retrofit their stores. It's just it, the whole W's of why, where, like what's, where was the logic? Why weren't people consulted? Why wasn't it, why wasn't there no bidding involved? There's a whole bunch of stuff that just hit us with no, no rationale. It just, it just was thrown at us. Here it is. Enjoy. I think the rationale, Phil, is that it's going to save money. A million dollars a year was one number thrown out by the provincial government. But is that reason enough to do this? No, a million dollars to them is nothing. I mean, we see them spend hundreds of millions on on special projects that they say are good for everybody. And then they'll, they'll find a way to undercut this. On the plus side that somebody has pointed out, you know, a few people, is that we're going so much online these days for a lot of people. They don't want to go to a, a, a kiosk or a person. They just want to do it online, go to a kiosk. They don't want to have to deal with a counter lineup unless it's something physical they have to head in their head. They just want to do everything online or do it at a kiosk, hit some buttons, and I'm done. All right. Philip Mills, what do you make of the big boxification of Service Ontario? Well, I I don't like it. And I, some part of me feels like I'm just like a grumpy old man sometimes. No, no, that's that my role. Me that's being my a grumpy role. old man. <laughs> and I realize there's a few others here. So like we can't all be grumpy old men. Um, but it just like, I don't know. It doesn't seem necessary. 
like we're back to hey we're gonna like i appreciate the idea of trying to save money but sometimes i think we worry about trying to save money in the weirdest ways is service on camp or service on chair really the place that we could be finding for looking to save money you know it's like the difference between hey if you're trying to save money you know at your home and you're you know you turn your hydro down a little bit more or you you know buy less expensive gas for your car like those work and it's not that it doesn't save money but like maybe the answer is to not have 15 subscription services like maybe there's something better and we're kind of picking stuff that like while it may work and it may save money is this really something that's going to benefit us does it make things better because i imagine if the idea here is that we need to be the only idea is we need to save money there'd be somewhere else to do it but i'm all the way back to what i said earlier I don't think the goal of government should be necessarily to try and find every new way to save money. The goal of government should be to provide good service to the community, to be supportive of the community. And I do worry, I think Phil makes a good point about like jobs. You know, are we taking good jobs out of the community? Are these jobs going to be replaced with like for like, or does this become, you know, what was once a good job, what job that had benefits and paid well and was stable and become transient again? Because like life is hard, life is expensive. And often when I see, hey, we found a way to make, you know, to save money, my first thought is it seems like that's probably going to be in the back of a low low income employee. We're going to pay them less. We're going to take away benefits. And that's how we save money. We don't make our community better by paying people less. So I, that would be my, one of my biggest worries is I don't know that this really actually benefits the community. It certainly benefits giant multinational billion all companies that people are now going to have to go into. Like I never want to go into a Walmart, but if I have to now – like this is good for them and we're paying them for the privilege. It seems awfully strange. They should be paying us to have them in there, to be frank. So I'll tell you this in perfect honesty, I will find the Staples location because I'm, I'm with you. I d- Sorry, Walmart. I really, I don't like the experience, but I'll just leave that right there. Justifiable concern raised. I do believe Phil around the jobs and what this looks like moving forward. Marjorie, what do you think of this? What a wicked act. This is completely unnecessary. But, you know, it's almost been like a a, a progression. You know, we, we didn't need our stickers. We needed to get new plates. Oh, but they didn't work, so we have to get old plates but new plates and no stickers. And when do you get your thing changed? Oh, my gosh. I'm expired, but I didn't know because I didn't have a sticker anymore and I didn't have this and I didn't have that. And now I have to go to a kiosk. But I don't want to take my private business because it's not all about cars. There are other documentations and other things that you would do there, which I don't believe has a place in a Walmart kiosk or a Staples kiosk. That people now need to go to these places to do their private business. And we're paying them for the privilege of doing it. The whole thing just stinks. I wonder how this thought process came. I wonder what's really beneath that we're not seeing. Because somebody came up with a great way of making money. This isn't about saving money. This is about making money. And I wonder how we happen to just fall into this so suddenly. It is a wicked act from start to end, and it should not be allowed to happen. The fact that it is soul sourced leads to 
the inevitability that we'll ask questions like this, right? Because we need to. Sure, we do. Absolutely. And I, for the life of me, I mean, cook cook the system if you want to. Like, make it appear as though you had multiple bidders or something. But you just it just gets foisted upon you, and I I get it. Uh, Philip, you had a thought there. Well, I just I like I agree. Like this, the government I think ought to have known better after how many times they've been hit with transparency issues. Like there's been lots of stuff around how this is done to not learn from a number of other things that they have been, you know, rightfully questioned and pushed on to go and do something like this again. Like it just doesn't seem wise. Like if you're going to do something and I don't like the idea, like at least before Canadian company or an Ontario company, you're like, hey, we're going to pour Ontario tax dollars into this. The bare minimum is that goes to an Ontario company with standards around that. But saying we're going to take Ontario tax dollars, use them to create reasons to drive business into American multi-billion dollar companies, like it's just insane. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like I get, you know, in a dollars and cents, maybe we pay a little less or the government saves some budget stuff. But I I don't want to save budget to ensure that that money I am paying is going out of the country. Like I'd rather it stay here and be used to support. So this could be an opportunity to, you know, inject economic development and economic impact into locally owned businesses. Great. That sounds amazing. That I could get behind if you said, look, we're going to shut down standalone places and this is going to go to locally owned whatever. These were previously privately owned businesses. Like all of that stuff you're taking from local you're pushing to multinational. I don't love my taxes doing that at all. Oh, just think. They could even have put them into community centers. How about that? Push some money there. There's so many other places they could have gone. Exactly. I, I heard a great argument, and, and I wish I had thought of it myself, but somebody said, why not libraries? And then if you're going to retrofit and invest, you're investing in the municipal service that is a library system. Light bulb. It's a pretty good idea. That's such a better idea. It really is. Can we make that happen somehow? Uh, maybe. I maybe like the power of this show. I'm told that they're now shaking hands again after hockey games in Newfoundland. And I complained about that. So maybe we've got the reach. I don't know. Phil Molto. Well, I yeah, we solved it. We've got it, Mike. We solved it. <laughs> Everybody at every level of government should listen to this show on, on, on Friday mornings because we've got everything. But yeah, it's just the whole. Everybody, what's interesting? How many people are confused? Like, why, why, where, when? Like, who did, who started this? Like, if if next week suddenly somebody was different, was plowing all the highways in Ontario, would say, how'd they get the contract? Who said they could do that? We were told it just suddenly happens out of the blue. We have seen this provincial government reverse course. Maybe if the uproar is loud enough, it will do so again. We shall see. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, I mentioned as we began this discussion around provincial politics that we'll have a federal political discussion as well. And I I realized too late to my friends joining us on the Friday Four Roundtable here, I I didn't even include a link. It was my mistake. I, I must have copied and forgotten to paste. Nonetheless, I know that you are up with the issues of the day and the issue that we will discuss federally right after this timeout is whether or not the ethics commissioner needs to take a look at that Jamaican vacation that our prime minister took. It's our Friday Four Roundtable every Friday from 11 until noon. Marjorie Knight, Phil Molto and Philip Mills with us on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV.
an all-request Friday here on the Mike Farwell Show. And this is the third time that somebody has requested a song by Rush. I guess I'm not the only one. And for those of you who think you don't like the greatest rock and roll band of all time, which is Rush, I humbly suggest to you, please listen to the entirety of of this song, Spirit of Radio. If that doesn't make you a Rush fan, I don't know what will. Might be their best constructed piece, but I'll just leave that over here. By request of DJ Phil Molto on our Friday 4 Roundtable this morning. Philip Mills is with us love, as well. Love, love the love the Rush. The Rush is a great band. They're epic. They absolutely are, but don't use the word epic, please. I'm, I remember, did you not hear me last week? I don't want that word used ever again. Anyway, I kid. I love you. You got great taste in music. Philip Mills, I'm sorry we didn't get any 90s music on for you today. Next time you're here, we will be sure to do it. We'll make it an all 90s theme. That sounds fantastic. Okay, we can make that happen. I learned too late that you are a fan of that decade. Marjorie Knight is with us as well on our Friday 4 Roundtable this morning. All right, Mr. Mills, I will begin with you on the Jamaican vacation that continues to create waves in Ottawa, the vacation taken by Prime Minister Trudeau. The cost, if you will, the freight was carried by a friend who put him up at a pretty swanky place, and now there are questions as to whether or not the ethics commissioner needs to take a closer look at this. Does that need to happen, Phil? I hate this stuff. <laughs> I, I just, part of me, there's this part of it that says, like, get on with governing. Like, from best I can tell, and I only have what's in front of me and what I can read, and perhaps MPs have access to information I don't, it appears that this is, you know, relatively up and up. Now, do I have friends who can give me these types of gifts and can take me places that are this expensive? No. But Justin Trudeau, lives in a world that I do not. And his family has existed in a world that I will never exist within. And so the idea that he has family friends from well before he was ever a politician, his family has been connected to people and knows well people and that family friends do things, like that doesn't seem that wild to me. And so if the idea is the prime minister can't accept gifts from family friends or can't accept lavish gifts, like that makes some sense. On the other side, I don't know. I hang out with my friends. Seems okay. Sometimes, you know, we don't do as nice of things. Like, I get to stay over in my friend's, you know, spare room sometimes. His spare room's probably not as nice as what Justin Trudeau gets to hang out in. But still, like, these things happen. And I just wish, you know, I don't know how much of this is really rooted in actual concerns around ethics. It feels like politics. And I don't like when we spend time doing politics because this doesn't feel like a question around you know, really around ethics, really around governance. This feels like a question around, I think this is close to a line, and maybe he ought to know better than to not go close to lines, but this feels like the type of thing where, hey, maybe we can get a political win and not, hey, this is a real issue of the governance and operation of our country. Like, if if every the reports are true that Prime Minister's office talked to the ethics commissioner, told them what they were doing, they didn't seem to, doesn't sound like they, you know, received a lot of concerns, and that this has happened before, I don't know why this one's that big a deal, then. 
I think you touched on part of the reason why it seems like such a big deal, and that is because you, like me, and many Canadians do not have friends, the likes of which could provide such a vacation, and we have this sense about us that the people that we elect must be everyday people just like you and me and must behave accordingly. That's my two cents on that, but I'll move it over to Marjorie Knight for thoughts. Well, I thought it was really silly, especially when they said that they had checked with the ethics people before they went. Like, so we're, we went to the ethics people, but we're going to go to the ethics people again, and we're going to waste all this money doing this investigation. It just, it just seems silly. Yes, Justin Trudeau has a long, long history with Jamaica. I remember being a very young child with my mom, with uh, the then Prime Minister Michael Manley, at a Labor Day event. In Jamaica, Labor Day, you actually go out and do work. You go and you clean a beach area, you go and you paint a community center, you look after whatever, it's some thing. And Pierre Trudeau was there at that Labor Day event, uh, clear helping to clear a beach area. So from I was small and before, probably before I was even born, they have been coming to Jamaica. They have been friends with some very... Um, wealthy Jamaicans um, who live in the same kind of bubble that they live in. And they have come often, often, many, many times to Jamaica. So yes, there is a big connection there, a big family connection that's been from when he was a child. So I know that is there. I know that he would feel comfortable to do that. And these would not be um, people that he just met or people that you know, are looking for influence or whatever. These are people that they've had a relationship for a long, long time. That's that's just the facts of it. That's I've seen that from I was a child. I've been seeing them there. So, you know, it, it just seems petty. And yes, politics, anything they can do to make him look bad at this point, they're going to pursue. I mean, I'm not a big fan at all of him but this whole thing just seems very contrived and and silly my only problem is that i i didn't get to go <laughs> you and me both i think you probably speak for all of us on this panel phil molto you know every time this seems to come up whether it's provincially or federally who was there are you being lobbied or is it a friend if they've got friends in high places which i don't Good for them. If they can go spend a weekend at their friend's cottage, great. If they're being lobbied by a group who says, come to this event, we want you to meet these people, that's totally different. Here's a guy, not a big fan of, of him, but he's had problems with his family, struggling to keep it together, trying to refocus. He wants to go away. Let him have some time away. Why do we have to always analyze it? It's obviously, if it's not a lobby group that's paying a bill and trying to schmooze them and get some one-on-one time, I don't, I don't see the problem with it. There's much bigger problems happening in this country and this world that the prime minister and the opposition needs to focus on, not whether he got a king-size or a queen-size bed. Well, the opposition is certainly focusing on the extravagance of the vacation, and it's become a talking point, but I guess the opposition's job is to keep the pressure on in between elections. Philip Mills, quick final point? I just think that's the point, though. Like This isn't 
I don't think this is about anything meaningful. It's about trying to create something out of nothing rather than like, I would love if our politics got back to talking about policy and less about personality. And we are just stuck with personality and it drives me up the wall. Really well said. Really well said. And on that note, we have to leave it for another day, another week with our friends at Rogers TV as well. Uh, Phil Molto, it looks like, say hi to Dave and the team at Team Vincent, because that's where you're hanging out in air. I think that's the background I'm seeing there. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Good folks there at Vincent Motorsports. Say hi to them, our friends in air. Philip Molto, Philip Mills, Marjorie Knight with us on the Friday 4 Roundtable. Thank you very much for your time. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Rogers TV is done for another day, another week. Thanks to Robert and the team for producing the TV side of this show. We're going to get you an update from the City News Center and then come back with the Coaches Show. Rangers head coach Yusi Ahokas joins us next on the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. And so long, Rogers TV. Well, if the Kitchener Rangers had been at home on Wednesday night, you would have heard that song five times because it's the song that plays when the Rangers score a goal. A 5-1 win for Kitchener in Guelph on Wednesday night, and that makes it four straight wins for the Kitchener Rangers as they get set to host the London Knights tonight at the Memorial Auditorium. And as he does every Friday at this time, we're joined by the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, UC Ahokas, for the Coaches Show. Good afternoon, UC. Afternoon. Good afternoon. That game on Wednesday night, as a head coach, does it give you an idea of the depth that you now have with your forward unit on this hockey club? Oh, yeah. I, I think our, we, it, our second line played really well that that game. Also, our third line was good. Uh and you need to you need depth for sure like and it it gives us a lot of opportunity a lot of uh chances to play play teams against different lines and and see see how it's going a couple of rookies uh in both Romano and Lamb chip in with goals on Wednesday night and it's nice to see them contributing at this point of the season as they continue to develop well yeah it's important for us that they they keep going and uh it's been but then again they've been having good minutes uh now when we were missing some guys and uh and I thought both of them played uh played really well so uh it's good to see and that's what we're expecting them to their young boys but developing and getting used to the pace of the OHL and uh learning to do and play play the right way Every game now, too, you see, it just takes on more and more importance as we get later in the season. How much do you expect from these young players at this stage of the season? Uh, well, um, they to play to our system and compete, and mistakes, of course, happen. But that's what we have to. That's what we uh, 
that's kind of playing playing the right way and can really take take anything else like the like I've many times have said that these points are the same amount you get what you get in September so it's like how I think but still like uh, I'm more looking at their personal development and how they how they've gone forward during the season what did you think of the performance you got from Jackson Parsons on Wednesday night? Well, a great game. He great game. Uh, it was good. Uh, I think uh, it's important for him to get back in track, and uh, that was normal Parsons again. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we I was really pleased in his performance. I know what you mean, you see, when you talk about the points in January are the same points that you get in September. And I know too that you knew all about the London Kitchener rivalry when you got here to coach the Rangers. How are you feeling heading into this weekend with the home and home with London? No, it'll be exciting. Exciting. Good top they've been playing really well lately and uh we've been getting our game a little bit back on track. We're still not there where we wanna be. We played in one point but I think it's a good Good two games, and uh, for sure the rivalry is there, so it'll be a lot of fun. Where do you need this team to be? If you're not still quite where you want to be, where are you looking to get this team? No, still defensively we have to be we have to be a little bit better, and forechecking wise, those kind of things uh, we have to get that still to, to when we're going towards the playoffs, and that's what we have to have to keep keep getting better that if we want to have a long run that's what you always need you have to you have to have good defense but of course good offense but uh just that we're not doing common mistakes and our like kind of our system and all that that they're really on place and we're playing the right way the london knights as everybody knows have won 12 games in a row coming into kitchener tonight what do you need to do to stop this team no we have to Stick to our system. Uh, stay out of the box. They're really good uh, in their uh, power play, uh, and uh, but we don't have to do anything special. We have to play our game and play well. Like against them, you have to have a good game if you want to win them. But that's like every and you know, when you're playing the top teams, that's that's what we need. And uh, yeah, it's not like if we play defensively well, we're we don't do stupid mistakes, uh, and then we're attacking and we're going to the net, and then I think we'll do 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 well. Is it important in games like this, you see, to keep emotions in check against a rival like this? Well, yeah, like you, not we have to be like just that that we we're not taking too stupid penalties, and we understand that when to play to keep playing the right way, and that's I guess. The biggest thing against them, they have a 34% power play, so we don't want to, we don't want to be in the box. I can't wait for the game tonight. It's always fun. Uh, thanks for making time for the show. We'll see you at the rink. All right, thanks okay. a lot. Bye bye. All right, bye. UC Hocus is the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I feel I feel a little bit bad for the guy today because what I've come to learn about UC Ahokas, the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, is that he takes very seriously his role as a coach, which means to develop the team 
so that it wins hockey games, so that it can be successful. And he takes very seriously his role as the person who will develop these young hockey players, both as players and as young men. And it is my sense that UC Ahokas wants virtually nothing to do with the noise around the games, right? I'm sure deep down he feels it, but he can't even talk about what he feels coming into a game like this because he has to be that calming influence behind the bench, drilling home to these players that tonight is just another average Friday night at the Memorial Auditorium. But we know, or at least we feel differently, right? I know I do. Like, I have been looking forward to this week for many weeks now. Like, I just, I can't even. Like, I'm so so excited for these two hockey games. Win, lose, or draw. I am pumped for these games. But the coach's job is to keep everybody focused on the task at hand. Go out there and play your game. It doesn't matter what team you're playing against. If you play your game, you will be successful. I guess we're going to see. The Rangers have been successful already once against the London Knights this year. Tonight and tomorrow mark games number two and three in the season series. There are still three more to come. It's perfect. It's just what you want. A battle for first place this weekend between the Kitchener Rangers and the London Knights, and it all gets going tonight at the Memorial Auditorium. Paul Fixter and I will be on the air starting at 6.35 tonight with your Harris Law pregame show, and then tomorrow afternoon, take note of the start time tomorrow. It is a 4 o'clock puck drop. That means on Saturday afternoon, your Harris Law pregame show will start at 3.30. Paul and I from Budweiser Gardens getting you through Rangers and Knights, and then How's your Saturday? You can have the Leafs right after we're done with Rangers nights on Saturday. Works out pretty well. And Fixie and I will be home at a reasonable hour. Yeah. So keep that in mind. And listen, if if you listen to nothing else during the Harris Law pregame show, make sure you listen to the fixes in for City Caps because let me tell you, we can barely go anywhere, me and Fixie these days, without somebody stopping them and saying, hey, is the fix in? We have some fun with that segment during our pregame coverage. So that starts tonight at 6.35. Puck drop just after 7. Tomorrow afternoon in London. Pregame at 3.30. Puck drop just after 4. Rangers, Knights for first place. Oh, baby. Can't wait. The Coach's Show happens every Friday at this time with UC Ahokas, the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. We'll take a break. When we come back, the phone lines, my friend, are wide open to you, it is the 12 o'clock talkback for a Friday afternoon, so your last opportunity to take part until Monday. I'm sure you've got stuff you need to get off your chest today. Something you want to talk about? Let's hear from you. And hey, bonus points for first-time callers today. It's open to you, too. Don't be shy. Join us on the 12 o'clock talkback. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
Your All Request Friday continues here on the Mike Farwell Show. And we had to make sure we played this one because it comes straight down from on high. The boss sent me an email saying, Farwell, this is the song that you need to play. It's a song by Focus called Hocus Pocus. After we just talked to the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, you see a hocus. You see the boss, who clearly needs to be a boss, because if we put him on the air with lines like this, but he told me it's Hocus Pocus by You See a Hocus because he's working some magic with this Kitchener Rangers hockey club. There you go, boss. Don't quit your day job. We are into the 12 o'clock talkback hour. Yeah, yeah, three quarters of an hour. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. Let's have a conversation. Especially, I mean, I would love to know if you even give a single darn of a tinker whether or not we have one tier or two tiers of local government. I am so beyond frustrated by where we are at municipally when it comes to our governance structure. For the life of me, I can't figure out how 650,000 people need 59 elected representatives and two tiers of local government. Just give me one tier. We can worry about the details and how it looks after But please, for the love of all things holy, give me one tier. And frankly, after all the nonsense over the past 24 to 36 hours, I think what's going to happen is that we are going to have somebody else foist upon us a plan of their making, not a plan of our choosing, which will really be a shame. And I promise you this, I will not hold back. I will say, I told you so. But nonetheless, I'll leave that here. We'll go to Grant to start us off on the 12 o'clock talkback. Hello, Grant. Good day. I like that name, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus by Focus for you see a Hocus. He's, he's, a, he's a funny guy, but he looks... Easy now. Huh? Easy. I'm just warning you to be careful of where you're going. It might be thin ice. He looks like a hockey coach. Yes, he does. He looks serious. He's very serious. But it's fun when you get him laughing. We've had some good times. And he, he, every so often he'll smile during an interview. Uh, yeah, um, I'm just going to touch on a couple of things. And, okay. And he's he's right. Uh, not not what's that? Not cross checking, but when you're getting to boards, you're what I. Yeah, I can't remember that. Okay, what, Grant, what's the point, please? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, you have to continue on back-checking. Back-checking, okay. yes. Four-check, back-check, pay-check. There you go. That's there you go, yeah. Yeah, they have to continue on doing that with this team. They don't want to play like they did when they played Sudbury, where they had that lead and kind of s- s- slipped away. You know what? I'd like to see two periods... Uh, tied, tied, tied up, and yeah, um, and then this other thing that uh, both, uh, what's her name? She's a singer. A, peop, a couple people went to her concert, and she, Madonna. That's right. And she started late. But these people know that they're 
but she's always going to be late. I can't see them winning this uh, court battle, whatever they said they're going <laughs> to. Okay, I, Grant, you're, <laughs> I love you, buddy. You're all, from the Kitchen Rangers and making sure they back check to Madonna coming on stage late. Uh, and, and Grant, I think you said wanted it tied for two periods. I, you're a much nicer guy than I am. I, I want the Kitchener Rangers to get the first goal and the last goal. Like, I want all Kitchener Rangers all the time. But that's just me. And on Madonna, I don't care how big a star you are. Uh, it's rude. It's just rude. Be a, be a nicer person. Please, thank you. And Grant, thank you for the call on the 12 o'clock talkback. We next go to Sean. Sean, am I correct? You are a first-time caller to this show? Yeah, I am, buddy. Welcome to the program, buddy. What do you got on your mind? God, um, okay, I've been a season ticket holder for the Christian Readers for 22 years now, so okay. you're not going to meet a bigger fan, hands down. I got all the gear. I got everything I want. Okay, uh, hang on. You want to fight on who's the bigger fan? I'll fight you on that, Sean. <laughs> okay. Okay, That's you okay. Win. No, no, I don't. You do for sure. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't know if I'm going on a limb here or not, but I'm feeling pretty good. Are we looking at a 2003 Memorial Cup winner here? We're talking Eminger and Roy and, and, and Richards and uh, Clarkson, you know, all NHL players, all good players. All What a kick-ass team that was. That's a buyer head. Hands down. How are you feeling about this? Is it too soon or... Am I just saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna win it all. We are gonna win all of this. This whole year is ours. All right, you you are a bigger fan than I am because yes, it's too soon. You're on a bit of an uh, an unstable limb. Look, this team is making a believer out of everybody. I get it. It might be premature though, Sean, to anoint okay. them championship. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just so excited about how well this team is doing. I'm like, you know what? I'm just thinking, like I'm seeing Peter DeBuyer on the couch, and I'm seeing Richards, and I'm seeing Ryan. I'm just like, oh my God, we're gonna do it. 20 years later, we're going to win another Memorial Cup. I got a such a good feeling. Could happen. It could happen. I'm not going to say no. I'll just say pump the brakes a little bit. Use a yield uh, sign, okay? Don't stop. Just yield. Okay. 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 I will put, uh, I'm, phone, I'm, I'm in yellow zone now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean. Thanks for being a first-time caller, buddy. Okay, thanks, man. Hey, I love you, Mike. You are the best, man, hands down, for sure. (laughs) Cheers, God bless you, and thanks. Right back at you, and thanks for the call. If you're a first-time caller, we're going to bump you as high in the lineup as we can and get you on the air just as fast as we can. That means Kyle had to wait a little longer, but that's okay. Kyle understands. Hey, Kyle. I totally understand. I'd take the first time call over me any day. That a boy. <laughs> hey, if you want to win, you just hire a Finn. That's what we say in motorsport. But, <laughs> well, you know what? It's, you're not wrong. It looks that way for the Kitchener Rangers. If you want to win, does. just hire a Finn. Okay. So what, what's new with you, Mike? Are you any plans this weekend? So you're going to the hockey game. Are you going to dinner this weekend? Any vacation plans for the springtime? What's, what's up, my friend? Well, that's an interesting way to start the conversation. In fact, I thought, I thought you're always the interviewer. I thought I interviewed you for a little bit before I go. So I am. I just thought I'd ask those questions. I am kind of excited because our good friends at ECU, whose commercials I'm sure you have heard on this show, have yep. extended the invitation to me and Paul Fixter to go to the Detroit Lions game this weekend. And so, sure. yeah, and so we're we're going down on Sunday. Like I've never, I've been to a number of NFL games, but never an NFL playoff game. So I'm I'm pretty pumped for this. I'm looking forward to it. So are you going to do some tailgating, or are you going to be a good boy? No, no, I'm a sensible human being. But I do want to be at Ford Field for the atmosphere of a Detroit Lions playoff game. I think, And I don't have to freeze my 
you know what's off like anybody that goes to Buffalo. So I, I'm like looking at this as a win, 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 win. Well, I'll be looking for you on the radio, or on the TV. Okay. So just make sure that you. Uh, yeah, I'll you know, take my shirt off and wave it around. Hey, just make sure you have the Canadian flag on the front, okay? Because that's that's the only way you do it, my friend. All right, anyway, I'll, I'll see what I can find. Sorry for all the polka. I'll change it up the next time I request something. I just wanted to get those two things: the Weird Al, Al, Al Yankovic, and um, um, the polka master out of my chest. So there you go. Have a great weekend, Mike. Thanks a lot, my friend. Thanks, Kyle. Listen, you don't have to change your requests just because not everybody loves polka. If you love polka and you want to hear it as part of the show, then you make the request because it is all request Friday. Musically, the choices are yours. And I'll remind you three times today, you have chosen Rush as the music. We'll give you a little 30 seconds or so of a snippet of a song that you want to hear during all Request Fridays. If you don't get it this Friday, there's always next Friday. You can talk to Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass, when you phone in, or shoot me an email, mike at 570news.com, and we'll add your request to the list of requests. It's the 12 o'clock talk back hour, part of this all Request Friday, on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. I know. You're like, where is this guy? It's all Request Friday. That means I knew I had extra time. And thanks to Suzanne for requesting the song with the very appropriate title. As I have long said on this show, we are Waterloo. I think we should just drop the region. Everything around here should be called Waterloo under a single tier municipal government structure. But that's just me. Mark sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. Says, you know what I think? I think that we should just make everything Cambridge. And then people who live in Waterloo today will one day down the road be saying, I live in North Cambridge. It used to be called Waterloo. To which I responded to Mark, fine by me, just make it one government. But that's just me. It is your 12 o'clock talk back. Part of an all-request Friday here on the Mike Farwell Show. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Greg, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good shows this week. Thank you. And uh, I was surprised to hear that we had uh, six mayors in a small geographical region Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. 
I thought we had two or three, but I didn't know we had six in our region. Well, I heard that on your show this week. Yeah, and and so I think, Greg, this is one of the challenges. And, and you know, I, I don't think many people... <laughs> care a whole lot as long as the garbage gets picked up and the roads get plowed and things like that i i think and yeah there's there's actually eight mayors if you count the regional chair as a mayor because it's the head of an elected council so there's one at the region and then we've got four townships each township has a mayor we've got three cities each city has a mayor so we got a lot yeah yeah, and what I really called about was I can't believe uh, it seems like everything that Mr. Ford does recently has a shady, dark side to it. I worked in healthcare for most of my career, and because of the sins of others, I think it was Orange and eHealth, he took away our right to single source, and we had to do competitive bidding for everything within healthcare. And I get it, makes everything fair. And then he goes out and single sources Service Ontario contracts, and he won't tell us why they did that. It's unbelievable. Greg, I appreciate the call, and I hear where you're coming from. I understand that concern and frustration for sure. And the single sourcing of the Service Ontario story is one of the most challenging parts from where I'm sitting because it just leaves way, way too many questions to be asked. Mark, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. I heard uh, uh, James put out a song for UC. It was actually even above James. I have so many managers around here, Mark, it's not even funny. Okay, so I, I've got a song for UC. Okay, what's the song? For, are you going to sing it yourself? Well, first of all, I call the Ra- Rangers this year Diamonds. That's how good I think they are. All right, so you want to hear some Max Webster? No. Okay. So, this is for UC and the team. Yep. You see at the yard with Diamonds. <laughs> That's not bad, Mark. That's not bad at all. Okay, buddy. Go Rangers, go. Thanks, pal. I I appreciate that. You see at the odd with diamonds. I don't know how Lennon and McCartney feel about it, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Um, I haven't been to a Rangers game until the last couple weeks for almost 20 years and I took my cousins who were from um, New York State and they were in marvel at the old historic Memorial Auditorium and how nice the facilities were. Um, They told me that it's better than some of the AHL facilities that they have seen like the Utica Comets down in New York. And they were very, very impressed with um, the facilities of the Memorial Auditorium and the um, historical aspects to it. And I thought, and plus, the games were good, too. Um, I'm going to switch topics on you back to this um, multi-tiered government thing. Mike, I totally agree with you. They're going to have to bring someone in here to break that log jam, and, and I'm afraid it's going to be forced on us. And there are people here who I believe are looking after their own self-interest. Um, I'm hoping that whatever new structure they put in place, someone gets into their thick heads that people can't afford 10 and multi-digit tax increases when they're only getting uh, 2% raises at work or something like that. 
that's got to be cleaned up, Mike. That's my thoughts for today. All right, Mike. Thanks for the call. Uh, just to go back to what Greg said a moment ago, he couldn't believe we had six mayors in such a tiny geographic area. And technically there are eight heads of eight different councils. I don't think for a moment, to Mike's point, that our annual tax increases will be any lower with a single-tier municipality. We're facing challenging times in municipalities, in cities, in this province of Ontario, but we'll just leave that aside. We clearly agree that we are way over-governed. I want to go back, if I can, for a moment to Mike's point about the Memorial Auditorium. And firstly, kudos for describing it the way that you do. I know we call it the odd, and I get it, but I've really been working hard lately to emphasize or at least make sure I say the full name, the Memorial Auditorium, because that's what it is. So named because it was erected in tribute to our war veterans. And if you go into the marquee entrance on the box office side, you can read a little bit of that history. It's it's a beautiful thing. But to the condition of the building, I don't know if I said this out loud earlier this week. And if I didn't, I'm sorry because I should have. And if I did, well, I'm going to say it again because it's worth saying again. It's not all that long ago, a couple to a few weeks now, I was up in Sudbury. And the Sudbury Arena was built the same year that the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium was built. 1951 is the cornerstone for both of these buildings. And when I was up in Sudbury and I mentioned that to the gentleman I was speaking with, he says, well, your arena looks a little better. And I kind of just chuckled. And it's true, it does. And I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to whiz all over the Sudbury Arena. But my point is this, and I want to extend the loudest kudos that I can, as emphatically as I can, to all of the folks who work at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. And I know, I'm sure there are people that are doing great work across the city in our municipalities elsewhere that aren't as visible. But I get to the games, as you know, several hours before puck drop so I can do my necessary preparation and frankly, sometimes just drink in the atmosphere to get myself in the headspace. But I'm there last Friday night before the game, or maybe, no, I think it was Sunday, pardon me, it was Sunday afternoon, regardless. And when I'm getting, when I'm at the rink and I'm getting set up to do my work, the arena staff are like all over that arena getting it ready for your arrival. And sure, there are people down on the ice at ice level with squeegees on long handles cleaning the glass between you and the ice. But then there were the other folks that I noticed who were with like a spray bottle and a cloth cleaning the glass along the railings on the stairwells in the arena. That's a big arena. There are a lot of those panes of glass. There are a lot of those little things. And here's this staff just running all over that arena, making sure it is as ready as can be for your arrival when the doors open. And then as soon as that game is done and you have made your way out celebrating another Rangers win, which it was on Sunday, the crew gets right back to work and they start the process of cleaning up. You want to know why our arena is showing its age or holding its age much better than the Sudbury Arena? Because this is the kind of effort that's being put into its upkeep. Kudos, kudos, 
kudos to each and every one of you at the Memorial Auditorium in Kitchener for keeping our jewel of a hockey arena looking so damn good. You should be awfully proud of yourself. And it just, I mean, we as a community should be proud of the effort that's been put into that. You ask anybody, and Mike just shared the example, they come in from somewhere else and they're like, what have I just stepped into? This arena is gorgeous. Yeah, and it stays that way because of the effort that gets put into keeping it that way. Well done all around. I wanted to make sure I said that. All right, back to the phones we go. Andre, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Hi. That's Winter. He's saying hi. Hi, Winter. Uh, PD day, so everybody be careful for kids out there. Uh, it's a lot of tobogganing. So very well said about the memorial, Mike. Um, it's it's very uh, very amazing. Uh, the reason I'm calling is uh, about for one um, about the police budget. Um, I, you know, I'm not that smart, but it doesn't make sense to not getting better or thinking about the future because how fast our, our, our cities is growing. Um, and adding to that, you know, well, I'm just, hopefully they can fix that and be smart about it. Um, I'll let the professional talk about it. Um, but what I'm trying to get is what the four round table was talking about. And you mentioned Mike 20 years ago, um, the kids used to go downtown. They used to talk, and people. That was the heart, and we had a lot of uh, uh, social. I don't know what you call them, but social people to listen. Professionals. There was also walking uh, police officer, like Mr. Crow said. Um, <clears throat> we need that. So both sides. We need more officers, and we need more professional service. Because the reason also I'm calling is the problem we're having right now is the teenagers. Um, they see the parents, they see the adults who are misbehaving because they are confused a lot about life, what's happening, and there's too many problems. So the teenager and even younger kids are don't understand. So they put their frustration and hate out there, especially also with immigration, refugees, and jobs, etc. It's just a whole whack of uh, misunderstanding. So I really hope that we can, you know, ease things down so that everybody can understand. And my last point, Mike, is about the Rangers. <clears throat> uh, okay, so, Andre, I got to go quick here. I got other callers waiting. 20 seconds. So for Kitchener, uh, the second goalie, is it Memoir? I'm sorry. What's his name? The, no, there's Action Jackson. Who's the other one? The other goaltender? Yeah. Tristan Malbuff is the other goalie for the Kitchener Rangers, both of whom are playing very well. I just want to quickly touch on Andre's point about 20 years ago, root causes. We're talking about increases to youth crime, and we have to invest in upstream initiatives. We talk about that a lot. Get at the root causes. I said earlier today, we've been talking about that for 20 years. If we had begun investing 20 years ago when we started talking about this, we'd be in a better place now. And the police budget, I... I struggle because it's always brought up. I know it's a huge line item. I get it. But I don't think it's an either-or situation. I think we can continue to adequately and effectively fund police, and we can have the wherewithal to fund upstream services. It's all just a matter of priorities. But I think those two have to work 
hand in hand. And I, I bristle a little bit when it always comes out, well, the police get this much in their budget. We should just take away from that. I don't think it's an either or. Uh, Ranger Joe, Gerald, hang in there. We're going to get right to your calls after this quick timeout. It's the 12 o'clock talkback on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Fridays on this show are all request, and that one goes out to our friend Terry, who wanted to hear a little Union City Blue by Blondie. I was always more of a tide is high guy, maybe some heart of glass, but hey, Union City Blue requested by you on the all request Friday. Thanks, Terry, for sending in the request during our 12 o'clock talk back here this afternoon, final minutes of the show for another week. Let's get right back to the phones. Ranger Joe, good afternoon. Mikey, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm top shelf, my friend. How are you? I'm top shelf too, buddy. Good man. Hey, I wanted to, first of all, uh, say the comments that you made about the odd, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a crown jewel, and all those people from top management right down, every one of them, uh, they're passionate about the auditorium. They're passionate about their team. And uh, I'm one of those guys, whenever I hear that they're thinking of maybe tearing it down and throwing up a new one, Charles and King Street area, I think to myself, oh, my God, I'm shaking my boots, just envisioning 5,000 cars trying to get not only into the auditorium, uh, new parking areas, if it was moved down there, but trying to leave after a game. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just craziness, okay? But... Um, Let's see what happens on that note, Mikey. But uh, the other thing I wanted to say was on the Maple Leafs, I watched that Calgary game there the other night, and, uh, God, they didn't have a good first, uh, you know, the Leafs, and uh, uh, they did win. And all I can say, Mikey, is this, um, that um, if they ever lose Matthews for an extended amount of time because of injuries, they're going to be in deep trouble. Don't even say it. He is carrying that team right now. I'll tell you what. The, the the Leafs, Joe, have us exactly where they want us because we're starting to doubt, and that's where they yeah. need to be. We're fine. Everything's fine, Joe. Yeah. Is it really, Mike? It is. I promise. Hey, remember on the last show, I also said that Nylander was going to win the scoring title. I'm grabbing my white flag out now because I can already see a little change in him, and it's not good, buddy. All right, Joe. Okay, take care, Mikey. And listen, if you get sick at the last minute to go to Detroit, just give me a call back. I'll go for you. All right, sounds good. Okay, buddy, take care. Thanks. Nice to hear from you. Uh, On the idea of a new memorial auditorium slash OHL-sized hockey arena and entertainment venue, I can't imagine a scenario under which this community does not move forward with such a project. And the problem is, my biggest complaint, forget, I mean, I I respect Joe's perspective on the parking in in and out of downtown, et cetera. But really, for me, the big challenge is going to be, or or the loss will be, the character of the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. You can't replicate that. You can't build in character. You can't, I mean, if they found a way to make it as beautiful 
and historic, if you will, nostalgic inside. But every every new building, it's kind of like a cookie cutter, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but like I get it, the modernization of things. But that's going to be the part that I'm going to miss the most. Fortunately, I do believe I will be able to retire in the building where I began working. I don't anticipate before I call my final game that the Memorial Auditorium will be anywhere other than where it is right now. So that's okay, Kitchener. That's okay. Keep moving along at the pace you're moving. It's working for me. Gerald, good afternoon. You're on the 12 o'clock talk back. Gerald? Gerald, I'm so disappointed. I wish I could have talked to you today, but I know it took us a while to get there. So we'll go to Sophia next. Hello, Sophia. Oh, hi. Uh, I want to talk about this Walmart uh, Ontario service. This is, for newcomers, is the best idea. You think from my comments it's the best idea? Yes. Well, I think it's going to save us some money. I can't find this office on Manitou. I have very difficult find little English every immigrant, little money. I hire taxi. Last money what I have spent for taxi go to this office. After a few days, I don't eat food. And why Walmart not? Here, lots of immigrants. Everybody came to this uh, Walmart store. Cheaper food. Uh, very ch- cheaper is uh, medication in the pharmacy. For immigrants, is the best. Also, buses around. Everywhere, people not be must uh, hire taxi like I, find this money to office. This is, is very easy for newcomers. They take a buses, a lot of buses empty. So, Sophia, I just want to be sure I understand. You think that moving the Service Ontario kiosks to Walmart is a good idea? Very good. Okay. Very good for us immigrants. All right, Sophia, thank you very much for sharing that perspective. Then they can also be in Walmart and do some shopping, which is one of the reasons it rubs others the wrong way, right? Because you're helping the big corporation profit even more. Uh, Galen, you're going to get the last word today. Oh, fantastic. Um, thanks uh, Thanks for hosting today and doing all your thing. Um, I m- missed your segment on, on the Schneider family, but I just called in to kind of try to talk about that. Sure. Um, yeah, so... I, I mean, I'm not, I have no idea what the angle was and, and how you, you covered it here, but I just want to call in and say just how beautiful a property that is and how generous the Schneider family has been in sharing that with us um, for the last 40 years um, and how a great public asset it's been. I've gone there in the wintertime with friends that are in a deep, dark winter blues depression. I showed it to them. I can tell you that that, that place has saved lives, that having public access to it has saved lives. They just want to make a donation, um, and they have a very small demand that they don't want money to be put towards a parking lot on said lands that they want to conserve. Um, we can, and, and I guess we can talk about this and debate whether a parking lot should be built there or not. I have lots of reasons to tell you why there shouldn't be. Um, but the bottom line is we are risking losing public access to this amazing place. It's the most beautiful place in Waterloo. Um, and we're risking losing that over a freaking 12-space parking lot. Galen, I get you, and I'm, real, I'm, I'm right out of time, but I just want you to know my take on it was it's been working so well for 40 years. Why are we messing with it? Just let yes, it keep, yes. continue, for sure. And, and the last thing, I, the only thing, the last thing I want to say is, like, if it, I would give up 
every parking space, every parking lot in Wilmot Township if it meant I could stay and have public access to those trails. I'd freaking ride my bike. I'd walk out there. All right. I got, I got to run because we're fresh out of time. Thank you for the call. Love the passion. Love where you're going with this. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. See you tonight at the rink. This is City News 570.